0: Hello, and welcome back to the ring. I am your host, of course, the one and only, yes, yes, it's me, Dr. B.O.B., and with me this week, a special guest, we got a pinch hitter that we just pulled up from the minor leagues. Once again, he's here on hiatus for a cup of coffee, the one and only, the man, the myth, the legend, Lou from New York via New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs)
1: what's going on man thanks for having me back
0: not much uh, not much man you doing good
1: yes sir thank goodness man i mean right now you know enjoying a couple of days off from work you know doing daddy duties here at home you know in my real life and uh you know this 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 is a nice this is a nice little uh, escape for me Mm -hmm. to you know chat, chat about some uh old school wrestling here that that really it 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 it, war- it warms my heart to be able to discuss these things in a it warms
0: in a form. Absolutely. Warm. You 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 got it, brother. You got it. <laughs> but uh yeah, yeah, we're gonna get into uh some, some old school WCW. Is there anything in that happened in the past couple of weeks that you want to hit on though? Um I noticed uh there was one thing and I know this isn't people uh, this isn't a huge release or anything, but Allie, the bunny, got released from AEW. And uh, my question is: Does she go back to TNA Impact, where she was presented as a big star? You know, she won championships there; she was, you know, a big deal. Or does she maybe see, you know, if WWE's interested in her, does she put her foot into NXT and WWE? Well, I think that if you if you get the
1: interest from the wwe it might be it might be worth the the effort to go there
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um even i think that in all in all honesty it would not hurt her in any way shape or form to go to nxt if if the offer is made yeah and in all and in all honesty now with you know the news of nxt getting a deal now to move to network television on the cw and all the efforts that WWE has been putting into making NXT a better brand, I, I would certainly take that offer up if I were her. I honestly think, though, in her situation, she'll likely be back in Impact Wrestling. Because although, and again, although Impact Wrestling has not grown an in, in audience by any measurable scale, mm-hmm. but in the times that I do watch the product, I'm actually impressed with what I'm seeing. It's a it's a better product, although maybe the production of it seems a little downgraded, and I, I'm really hoping that for Impact Wrestling TNA's sake that they go and improve those areas because, again, I don't think that they're going to be a major competitor in the market by any stretch, but it gives an alternative for a lot of performers who either in WWE or AEW have... You know, I'm not going to say that they failed, but maybe floundered and not gotten you know, the best opportunities and maybe in impact wrestling, it's a different environment for them. You were, you know, fewer wrestlers and it's probably a better, a better situation overall for them to be able to get themselves over.
0: Well, so we, we've seen, I mean, let's face it uh, up until very recently, there were a lot of people I think Vince just didn't get. If that makes sense. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of guys. I mean, even. I still think John Morrison is one of those guys that Vince just didn't, understand how to use him other than as a comedy guy um and it uh it it hurt him but he's you know he can always find a home somewhere (laughs) apparently he's probably one of the easiest guys to get along with on the face of the planet um but so impact has always been a great i always called it wrestling purgatory kind of tongue-in-cheek because it is a place where people will go but it's a place they can go and try something different try something new not be the same gimmick they were in WWE and maybe show the WWE that, look, I can do this instead of like, well, I mean, that's exactly what Cody did when he bet on himself in AEW. He showed, he showed WWE, look, I can be something completely different than what you had me pegged as. And I can be exactly, honestly, exactly what they needed, which is a top tier consistent baby face.
2: I
1: mean, listen, I think with Cody Rhodes, if there, if there's ever uh, an example of a guy that was a, for for lack of a better term, a a WWE uh, product from the very beginning of his career. And unfortunately at the time in WWE, yes, Cody has always been very talented, but at the time that he was in WWE being presented as Stardust, there, there was something that was missing. And he was smart enough to understand that if he wanted to get to the level that he's at today, he needed to leave. When Mm -hmm. he went into the Indies and, you know, had all these great matches, the Cody's ability to have a great match was something that I always knew that he can do. It was just a matter of whether or not he can present himself in such a way that would be compelling at the highest level. When he was the American nightmare, this exact same gimmick that he has right now, in AEW, mm-hmm. it always felt it always felt somewhat disjointed because it it felt like his his presentation didn't fit in with the with the larger picture that aew was trying to present the, the cody verse <laughs> and they called it the cody verse right yeah. and it's all tongue-in-cheek but with time it the the longer he was in aew the more that chasm just kept getting larger and larger to the point where there was no bridge wide enough to be able to to connect the Cody verse with the rest of AEW Mm -hmm. when Cody came to the WWE in 2022 and they literally it was there's absolutely no alterations made to the American Nightmare it's 100 100 the exact gimmick that he Mm -hmm. had in AEW transferred to the WWE and all of a sudden it's it it works in every way shape and form even even the things that make look faulty somehow are presented in a much better light in the wwe so that just really goes to show you that at the end of the day cody rhodes really is a wwe product it's just a matter that he polished himself and became a new gimmick elsewhere and brought that back to the wwe and it's been nothing but success since he's been there for the last year and a half
0: yeah yeah exactly but um getting back to Ali for a second what i was because uh, i wanted to make this point yes. that I will say this, if she goes back to Impact, she's still going to be in one of the best women's locker rooms, best women's division in wrestling. I really think that of all the things about Impact over the years that I've,
2: eh,
0: eh, not like they've always had a pretty consistently good women's division. The the knockouts division has always been like they've got good workers, that can actually tell a story in the ring. I mean, you got you, you know they've always had a couple of veterans in there that are teaching the the young kids, and I have a feeling that that's the Impact is a place that pe- people will actually listen to the veterans when they're you know trying to give them advice and whatnot. Um, because anybody who's in Impact doesn't isn't there. I say I think necessarily to stay in Impact. They want to move on to something else, but it's, like I said, it's a great stepping stone. It's a great place to be, to do something, to boost yourself, to do something else. So. Yeah. I mean,
1: yeah, that, that's definitely true. I mean, my, my thing with Ali would be is, is that if she goes back to, to impact wrestling, which I believe will be the likely stop, I think for her, it's just a matter that it may be that impact wrestling might be her zenith. Like that, that yeah. environment might be her pinnacle because Again, in the WWE, although WWE has an outstanding women's division, and unfortunately, I think that Allie may not be a a really great fit in the WWE, no fault of her own. It's just a matter that WWE has done a phenomenal job uh, during Triple H's administration uh, through the NXT system to bring all these fantastic female wrestlers, performers, that either come from a a pro wrestling background or they just bring them, you know, they're just collegiate athletes or, you know, uh, other uh, forms of athletic disciplines, and somehow they find the women that are gorgeous and athletic and they train them and they, they become really good workers. I mean, even now, like the women's roster on NXT that you see now, the vast majority of these women are not indie workers that came to the WWE. You can probably count them with the fingers on one hand. Mm-hmm. The majority of these are, are women that the WWE recruit from all different, all different walks of life. I mean,
0: the, the whole breakout tournament was almost all just college athletes. And That's... that breakout tournament was, it was, for the most part, other than a couple of blips and bobbles, which, I mean, it's developmental, so you're going to have that. And these are the developmental of the developmental program. So, like, you got to kind of, you know, I don't know how to put it. Take it with a grain of salt, I guess. <laughs> they're in the ring, you're gonna, you're, you're gonna expect some mistakes, but but it's gotten a lot I better. It was it's gotten it a was lot better. Really good. That the um that what was their Kalani James? Kalani James. I mean, the ultimate the winner was Lola Vice,
1: and Lola Vice comes from an MMA background, mm-hmm. and. The, the, you know the fact um, that she that she transitioned from MMA and she's such a natural I'm like, yeah, she's an extremely attractive woman and she's got a lot of charisma and a lot of personality and the fact is is that her training is a matter of learning to go from fighting competitively for real to now working with her opponent and mm-hmm. that transition has has gone really smoothly and I look at her and say when when I saw the, when I saw the people in the breakout tournament, I was like, she's the winner. yeah I, I knew that right from the beginning it's just a matter of okay. How, how do the other women, you know, get themselves uh, noticed? Yeah. And I mean, it's like Lola Vice is like uh, Tiffany Stratton is another example of someone who in, in less than a year inside the NXT system, she's gone leaps and bounds. And obviously, yes, she's very attractive and she's very athletic. But at the same time, to understand the nuance of professional wrestling in terms of getting the charisma, the timing, the work, all these things and put it together. Yes, it's not perfect. She's still a work in progress, but she is well ahead of schedule in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um considering how how little time that she's had up, you know, in the wrestling business.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's um it's like what's his name? The white kid who's in the claws, the iron claw movie. Uh Jeremy Allen White, is that his name? I think. I'm not um yeah, I'm not exactly sure about his name, but I know who you're talking about. But he said he was he was talking about you know the difference between a choreographed uh like fight scene in a movie and what it's like to actually do the professional wrestling and they were cha- they were training with Chavo Guerrero um and he was he was saying you know like there's no breaks you don't get a chance to stop and catch your breath and he's like and you he, he's like some of the most important things in wrestling are the things that happen in between the moves, the facial expressions, the, the, the way you carry yourself, the way you look, you know, woozy when you're supposed to be, you know, getting, you know, on defense and, 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 firing up and like that. He's like, those, those things are almost more important than the moves. And I was like, this guy gets more about professional wrestling than most wrestlers do today. I think <laughs> because yeah. that's the thing that I think NXT is doing a really good job of teaching is that you have to constantly be on when you're in that ring and constantly thinking about how you're reacting to everything that happens in the mats, not just the immediate thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the reality is, is that when you're, when you're inside that ring, a lot of it, it's, it's a lot of improv. So at the end of the day, what you have to be able to do is you got to, You got to be able to know what it is that you can do, know what your opponent can do and kind of work, work around those things. And if there's any injuries or anything like that, you got to be able to communicate it. But also one of the things you got to be able to do is read the audience and listen to the audience Mm -hmm. and know where you got to pick, you know, where you got to pick it up or you got to slow it down because, you know, again, it's, it's not a knock on professional wrestlers today. It just kind of seems like, the thing that I notice a lot about pro wrestlers is that they're super athletic and can do some crazy athletic things that will blow your mind. And it's amazing how they can get it done. However, it almost seems like they have the match pre choreographed and already set up. Mm-hmm. And there's very little listening to the audience. And it just kind of seems like after a certain point, that's how you get to the next level. It's working, learning how to how to work the audience, learning how to listen to the audience, and be able to dial the levels up and down depending on what's needed at the moment. And I think that at times in the in the independent scene, that's the thing that's missing. It's having veteran workers who are probably on the, on the downside of their career, but are willing to participate and teach and, and give a lot of these younger guys on the job training in terms of being able to get them to listen to the crowd and get them to accentuate the things their their biggest strengths, mm-hmm. and then be able in in certain ways to hide the negatives. And hiding the negatives means that although you can do something, it doesn't necessarily mean that you should. And you have to know when to pick and choose, because you know these guys are only human. The bot, the human body can only take but so much. And you know what? All the crazy things you do when you're 22, you're going to pay for it when you're 35. So, mm. you know, it's a matter. It's a matter. It's a matter of learning how to figure that out. Yeah. To where you want to be able, if you want to make money in this business over, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, you got to pace yourself and you can't, you know, you can't just go balls to the wall when you're when you're a kid, because eventually your body is going to tell you, hey, you know, Lord willing, you're going to get to 35, 40, 45, 50. And eventually your body, all the things that you did to your body that you bounced back from when you were a kid, you're not going to be able to do it as you get older.
0: Well, yeah, that's something I was talking about on uh, Twitter the other day with uh, The Miz. I was like, how many guys have spent 20 years in this business, in this day and age, 20 years in the business and can still go like Miz can go? You know what I mean? And then also he was in that Fatal 4-Way on Brawl on Monday, and people were like, oh, well, he's doing all this stuff. And I'm like, that's because he's a babyface now, because he understands when you're a heel, you don't do a lot of flashy moves that are going to get a positive reaction from the audience, because you don't want a positive reaction. You want the audience to dislike you. So now that he's turned babyface, he can open up his offense a little bit and do the springboard cross bodies and the tornado DDTs and things like that, because it it plays into being a babyface. Is that you see what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you gotta you gotta be able to when when you're a heel you know you got you got to know how to work the match depending on your role in it mm-hmm. um if you're if you're a heel you know although you can do the summer the somersault spring starts and, and all those things it doesn't mean that you should be doing it mm-hmm. exactly because the more because the more because the more you try to do it unfortunately what is going to end up happening is that you're only going to you're only going to end up hurting yourself and it, the one thing that that really does get to me with you know uh, like let's say to use the Miz for example mm-hmm. the Miz when he works as a heel you know he obviously works a much different match it's a much more ground and pound type of thing and now that he's working as a baby face should he alter his style completely not really but should yeah. he add other things to the repertoire considering let's just say now when he's wrestling against Gunther he's yeah. gonna have to pull some rabbits out of the hat because Gunther's so much bigger and stronger than him and the story of the match is Gunther should be able to physically dominate yeah. So when the Miz makes his comeback, yeah, you could, you know, you can do a high-flying move. You, you know, you can do a, a you know, a planche out to the floor, or those types of things. And and it'll all work. And the fans will come up because the Miz is playing the role of a babyface. But if he was a heel and doing that move, yeah, it looks really cool. But the psychology of it makes no sense because exactly. that's going to get a babyface reaction. And then you're essentially, with all due respect, you're killing the heel's the babyfaces comeback when when it's time to go. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. That's uh, my, my wife and I were watching that match and uh Ricochet was on offense and she was like, "What is he ever going to do if he has to switch heel?" <laughs> <laughs> like he's not going to have a move set. He's not going to be able to do anything.
1: Your what? Your wife is very astute. Like she she gets it because re- realistically, I would say the same thing. I'd be like, "Brother, you know, you're going to you're going to have to at some point you're going to have to figure out how to work, you know, as a heel." I honestly think that a guy like Ricochet and 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 I've said this before, and I think my biggest thing with Ricochet is that he would have probably been really cool as a as a as a wrestler in the WWE, believe it or not, had he worn a mask. Mm-hmm. And I and I say this because the one thing about Ricochet, and he's gotten better about this, you know. So I have to admit he's gotten better. But over the years, my biggest criticism about Ricochet is, is that from from the neck up, he sells nothing. And because in, in his facials, he would always he would sell the same way now he's gotten better to where when people beat him up he's selling it with his face but i remember when he was in lucha underground i think it was prince puma i believe
3: yeah who, prince uh, Puma.
1: that with the mask on he he got to sell more with his body and he and you didn't have to worry about the face mm-hmm. and again sometimes it's a little difficult because if you can't see the eyes you can't see the facial expressions then as a baby face you can't feel sympathy but I thought that he was he was really cool in that role, and obviously in the WWE you can't do that because Rey Mysterio's got that market cornered, mm-hmm. and you know with with Dragon Lee and others coming in, who are masked wrestlers, I think that WWE has failed over the last twenty years to find the next Rey Mysterio. I think they might have it with Dragon Lee, but only time will tell.
0: Oh yeah, Dragon Lee. I think Axiom's another guy. Oh yeah, that, uh, yeah, I cause like he's, him a lot. He's really good and. Yeah, he reminds me of this guy, A-Kid, that was in NXT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he he kind of reminds you know, yeah, remind, you know come I, to think about it, yeah. The thing about Axiom I really like is he can, excuse me, he can go in a technical direction as well as a high-flying. Like, he can actually like Axiom can have a a a ground-based technical wrestling match with somebody hold for hold move for move without even touching getting on the ropes or high flying or striking at all like he's he's good at that and i think that that's one of the things that a lot of these high flyer guys don't do is you got to have something else to compensate or back up you know, if, if if you're a high flyer, you got to also either be able to brawl and, and throw good strikes. Or you got to be technically proficient and have some some submission holds because everything can't be a hundred miles an hour the whole time. Uh, and I, you know that goes back to my wife's point about ricochet. If he could, if he added something else to his repertoire, he'd be a more complete wrestler. But I agree with you. I also think that he goes from zero to hero too fast. He doesn't have those like few moves where he's like kind of stumbling around. He's still kind of trying to get his feet under him. It's like, you know, I got the shit beat out of me for 15 minutes, but now I'm running around and doing flips and twists, like fresh as a daisy. And it's like, you can't, nobody does that. You, you've got to have a, you know, at least a minute or two where you're kind of like, Oh, 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 I'm trying to, you know, trying to get, you know, throw some punches, maybe a backdrop, just little simple moves that'll help you build your comeback to where when you do hit, you know, the Topicon hero, have a Corona 360, you know, it it's built up to, it's not just, oh, he just hit this amazing move out of nowhere off, you know, so... Anyway. Yes, I mean, it's true.
1: I mean, I, I look at Ricochet and, and one of the things about Ricochet is, is that he's one of the bigger he's one of the bigger guys who works that style. I mean, Ricochet, I probably say he's about maybe 510. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I don't think he's 200 pounds, but his his body like he physically looks like somebody told me he was 210 215 I'd buy it.
2: Yeah.
0: Because, you know, he's he's big enough. You could bill so him. I, you could probably bill him at 220 and nobody would bat an eye.
1: Yeah. I mean, you might that. Yeah. You might be stretching, but that's fine. 220. You could bill him there. I would say that for a guy like Ricochet, it's the same, you know, like with Axiom. Axiom is actually I, I enjoy watching Axiom because he has that, you know, that really good blend to where he can ground and pound you if he needs to. And although he's a baby face, that's not what he should be doing necessarily unless it gets into a more physical contest. He can do it. I think with Ricochet, it's a matter that over the years, it seems like he gets very—he loves, you know, to do all those acrobatic moves. And trust me, the man is amazing, and he and and he can do it better than probably just about anyone. But the fact is that when you when you, to use your example, when he's been getting beat up for 15 minutes, you really shouldn't be doing all those flips and dives and circus delay stuff and make it look so crisp and perfect. Because yes, it's a performance. But at the end of the day, if if you're trying to get the audience to come with you on that ride, you kind of lose them. Cause then essentially what you're telling the audience is that, hey, this is a performance and it shouldn't be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And that's not good.
0: No, no. You gotta the I've I've always said the the whole point of professional wrestling is to make it look not fake, <laughs> not yeah, scripted, not pre-planned. And the best it- matches are the ones that get you into that kind of that that way of thinking where you're like, I don't know who's going to win this. You know, I don't, huh, maybe they will make the title change here. You never know. You know, I mean, Roman in LA Knight was a great example at Crown Jewel. That match, I was thinking, you know, I knew they weren't going to let LA Knight win. Like, I knew it, but I'm still like, I'm like, oh, I'm on the edge of my seat thinking, well, maybe. You never know. Like, you never really know and that
1: and that's the and that's the whole that's the whole thread in in terms of telling the story i mean listen ultimately the fans i've always said that sometimes even when the outcome doesn't seem to be in doubt like if you walk in let, let let's just say we walk into that match and say well roman reigns is going to win and we have no doubt about that we walk into it knowing that we already know what the end result is going to be but we still watch right yeah Well, if the match doesn't have that drama to where it it puts that seed of doubt in your head, then here's what it does, unfortunately, for LA Knight. LA Knight loses, and then he's got nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. The The fact that LA Knight was within an arm's length away from, or just an eyelash away from beating Roman Reigns, and it basically took Roman, Heyman, Jimmy Uso, and although Solo Sokoa was, you know, 30 yards away, but the fact that he that he caused the distraction, count him in the equation too. So essentially LA Knight had to wrestle four people and it took four guys to beat him. Mm-hmm. So when people, you know, if, if people say, Oh, is LA Knight buried? I said, absolutely not. It's a matter that with LA Knight, sometimes you can you can be elevated in losing. You know, I've always I've always said this in wrestling, it doesn't matter necessarily whether you win or lose, it's how you win or lose.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Some, sometimes you can win and not get over and sometimes you can lose and be buried in this particular case, Roman reigns continuing to be the champion is ultimately what the WWE wants. They're still padding up the days and you know, the longest reign, blah, blah, blah. But it's also a matter that with all of the challengers, he has not Roman reigns in this three year reign that he's had. He's not had one single challenger to where, when he beats him, that guy's buried, that guy's finished. It's not, ne- it's not happened he hasn't, yet.
0: He hasn't won clean
1: any of those matches. No. And, and, and here's the thing. Even, even when he wins and people are like, oh, and you feel deflated or whatever. It's not like you feel like that guy can't come back the next time or that baby face can cut a promo, get some of his heat back and then get a return. Mm-hmm. And, and the WWE has done a fantastic job throughout all of these matches that even though Roman Reigns has won every single one, yes, he's had help in all of them. And every single babyface at some point in the match, if you watch it and you and you allow yourself to, to watch it objectively, you're like, oh, my gosh. in every single one of these matches, all the babyfaces have had an opportunity to where a little bit of doubt was put in your head as to whether or not they can actually beat Roman Reigns. And that is exactly what you want. You know, ultimately, at some point, Roman has to lose. And I believe it'll be, you know, at this year's WrestleMania if if and when it's Cody Rhodes that's that's who who I think would be the guy it seems like he would be the guy but um it's
0: it's i'm of the opinion it has to be Cody if it's not Cody this whole him losing last year at Mania this past Mania like his whole the whole story the whole thing with him and his dad that he came in with is just all for naught and you've cut him off at the knees and if you want this guy to be your top babyface the last thing you want to do is cut him off at the knees. He needs the big victory over the biggest villain in the company to cement him at the, as the top guy and Roman reigns is that guy, the WWE championship. Cause they're like, Oh, he could win the world heavyweight. His dad was a world heavyweight champion. His dad was the WCW NWA world heavyweight champion. That's not the story. The story is his dad was never the WWE world heavyweight champion the wwe champion and that's the belt that roman has it's just it 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 is a storyline from any movie any hero saga like this is he-man and skeletor freaking you know gi joe and 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 and, uh um, you know cobra Cobra commander Commander. it's it's this is what it is it's you know the biggest bad guy versus the biggest good guy. And the good guy has to come out on top. It's classic wrestling 101. Uh, yeah so. yeah.
1: And, I mean, it may, listen, it makes perfect sense. And, and I say this with all due respect, if the WWE were to say, Hey, we will we'll put Cody to win the world heavyweight championship with all due respect, it comes across as kind of cheap
2: because,
1: mm-hmm. because realistically, and, and, and this is no respect, this is no disrespect to Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins has done a phenomenal job as the world heavyweight champion. And the fact that he's basically been the guy that's been working working the majority of the television shows and he's been, you know, the main event guy on your on your regular TV every week as the working man's champion. House, that's in
0: the house shows.
1: And the houses and all that stuff. You that's know, fantastic. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the World Heavyweight Championship, this iteration of it in WWE, it's only been on for the last six months. You can say, mm-hmm. Oh, it's got the lineage to the big gold belt and all that jazz. I was like, listen, realistically, the guy who you you have portrayed as the top guy and there's no mistake about this over the last three years has been roman reigns and that's that's absolutely indisputable currently in the wwe if anybody wants to say that even i'm not even going to say the wrestling industry because i would i would make an argument anybody that doesn't say roman reigns is the top guy in the wrestling industry you know would probably have a a bit of an issue with me i would argue with them about it but just wwe alone for anybody to say that anyone is better than Roman Reigns right now, I would be like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, Roman Reigns is the guy. WWE has always tried to portray him as the guy. The, the fans, it was never an issue of Roman Reigns not being ready for it. It was more a matter of the fans not accepting it. Mm-hmm. When Roman Reigns went away during the COVID time, and he went away for whatever it was, six months, eight months, he was gone. And when he came back, and he came back as a heel... It almost seemed like he was a completely different person. The fact that he didn't ha- that he got to play to a quiet room, the audience got it got an opportunity to see Roman Reigns just perform without the noise, without the background noise of an audience. You know whether they're they're buying it or not buying it. You didn't get to see that. And then every week they just kept developing and developing and developing. To where when an audience did come back six months, eight months later, Roman Reigns was already defined in this particular this particular path that he was on. And when the fans came back, they were already reacting to Roman Reigns the way that WWE wanted them to react mm-hmm. to Roman. And it's only gotten better since. Mm-hmm. And in all honesty, for the WWE, sorry to cut you off, uh, Cody Rhodes is a perfect example of a babyface that the WWE has failed. Because that's the only word I can say. They have failed miserably over the part, better part of the last two decades to actually create a white meat babyface that is not a heel that uh, you know like a person who was a heel that the fans loved and accepted because they were so cool as a heel that then you transferred as a babyface because mm-hmm. you could say the rock you could say austin you can say uh mankind you could say triple h all those guys dina every last one of them were heels when they started and then they got converted to baby faces because they were so cool as as heels
2: mm-hmm.
1: cody cody rhodes when he came back in 2022 he was a stone cold baby face and he was presented as a white meat baby face and it's gotten over. And really the the people that I can kind of compare that to are kind of like a, a Hulk Hogan or Bruno San Martino, you know, m- maybe even, uh, you know, a rocker back in the day, you mm-hmm. know, Pedro Morales, like you're, you're talking about guys that, you know, Hogan's the most recent, and we're talking in the 1980s for goodness sake. You know, you talk about Bruno and Rocca and Pedro. you talking about the 60s
0: and the 70s. Sting. So just... Sting was, but that was WCW.
1: Yeah, but Sting was WCW. But he, but in the WWF, WWE, yeah. he, he, they've, they've really not done a great job over, over the course of the last, you know, 20 plus years of being able to develop babyface characters oh, yeah. that the fans I... really love. And Bray Mysterio might be the exception to that rule, but it's really not they've not done a great job of it and i think the cody rhodes that's the reason why i believe that cody has to be the guy because there has to be a payoff because if the fans have been with cody and they're, they've been riding with him for the last 18 months the payoff has to happen and i think that at wrestlemania if that payoff doesn't happen at some point you got to start asking like hey you know we're getting long in the tooth when when are we getting our payoff here
0: oh yeah yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree about Roman. I was one of the people that loved Roman even when he was a baby face coming out of the shield because I was – his matches were so good. I've seen – I've been in, in in at Raw tapings like in 2017, 2018 when he was getting booed out of the building at the beginning of the match and by the end of the match, people are cheering and throwing babies in the air when he wins. So, like, the guy knew how to put matches together. He was a good wrestler – He can't. He could never. He can't help his booking because he wasn't, you know, a big enough star then to have any real say in it. He can't really help, you know, his promos because, you know, that was Vince, and Vince was very, you know, you need to say this this way. Um, I think Triple H is a lot, lot more lenient on, uh, on people being able to kind of go their own way a little bit in a promo and kind of say it. It helps that people can say shit the way they would actually say it because that actually gets you involved in their character. I think that that's one of the things that Triple H has done really well with is actually developing believable personas, gimmicks, characters, whatever you want to call it for these, for these guys, you know, like Finn Balor is the most believable Finn Balor I've ever seen in the WWE since he was in NXT. You know, like I actually believe him as a person that this would be kind of how Finn would be. Yes, maybe a a, a a charged up more bad guy, bad intention person version of Finn, but it's still him, Dom, you know, the whole Judgment Day, Jimmy Uso, Jay Uso, like Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, all these people feel like real people now instead of. A character of a gimmick yeah and yeah. that's that's what you need and uh speaking of real people and real characters we have a great uh review today <laughs> for wcw february 21st 1987 i've I'm su- i've been super excited about this episode for a while because i do after the last episode, I saw the very beginning of this, the cold open. I was like, Oh, this is going to be, this is, this is that episode. This is that storyline starting. And this is, it's a big one. It's a big one. So we'll get into it right now. Um, first of all, did you enjoy watching this? You know, when I, when
1: I watched the episode back, there was, there was a couple of things. One, there were, there were a lot of matches on the, on the card. And I was kind of surprised because, um, When I, when I watch some of the matches, I can tell what the booking was like at the time Mm -hmm. and it all, and it seemed like the NWA was in this, I don't want to call it a transition, but it almost seemed like they, they had like an open door policy, meaning that, you know, they're mentioning Memphis wrestling. They had, you know, the, the world junior heavyweight championship, which I know is not necessarily an NWA title.
0: Well, it's an you know NWA I mean? title. It's not a Jim Crockett Promotions. That, thank you. That's
1: that's that's the point, right? Like, yeah. it, it's not it's not a belt that Crockett Promotions was was having on their television all the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: When and when I saw a mix of the talent that was on the show, I was like, okay, I know that at this particular period there were certain guys who were very much mainstays, and then there were guys, you know, like let's just say, for example, when they when they started out with Jimmy Valiant, you know. Jimmy Valley had been in that, in that area for a long time mm-hmm. and he was acting as a baby face, and it was, it was a lot of fun for, you know, for the audience. But as I was watching it, I was like, okay, it almost seems like he, he had just finished a program and they're kind of like having him on TV to kind of like work the opening match. But you can tell that at some point they were going to move him into some kind of a program. But I know that the transition, cause he was, he wasn't there for very long after that. I think he was probably gone, uh, 87 into 88. I know that uh, yes. Jimmy Valley wasn't around for much longer after that.
0: But I think he went back to. I think he actually went back to Memphis, if I remember correctly. If that's would be the most likely landing spot for him, because that was yeah. his home territory. But yeah, so let's we can get right into it. Yeah, cold open. We get the Garvins in the parking lot, and the putting Ronnie Garvin in the back of a car, and that's all we'll say about it for now, because we want to get to this angle when it comes up um that awesome that was we get, awesome we so we get the intro which is by the way my favorite wrestling show intro ever i love the music the little the little twirly uh of uh, you know pictures yep. the little twirly graphics with the wrestling moves in them i'm just it's so it's so great it's so great this because this is i mean i was seven years old watching this i know i say this a lot on the show but literally seven year old me would sit there in front of the television and just be like, Oh, wrestling's on. This is the coolest thing ever, you know, because it was, and hearing that, hearing that music always takes me back to being a little kid watching it. That's why, that's part of the reason why I wanted to do these reviews that, and nobody talks about really, everybody talks about the starcades and the great American bashes, but nobody really talks about these week to week shows which to me are is brilliant wrestling shows as far as the structure the way they're put together the promos like these guys come out here every week and do these promos completely unscripted you know they might get you know dusty or or somebody might be like okay we want you to hit on this this and this but that's it and they're just going out there flying blind cutting these promos week after week after week and they're always almost always on point fantastic promos get the point across and don't take too much time about it
1: yeah, and and the thing about these promos is that these guys would as i as i was watching the show and then i saw all the different guys cutting their promos you can you can easily tell what the threat of the show was you mm-hmm. know that and that was the big angle and then on top of that they were also talking about the jim crockett uh you know tag team tournament and you know, crockett, the, cup. The crockett cup and they were they were focusing on the $1 million prize mm-hmm. and it was an invitational thing. And all, although you might, you know, now that you might look at it with today's eyes and be like, it's kind of ridiculous, but no, it's actually really, really wonderful to say, Hey, it's an invitational tournament that it's not just the guys from Crockett promotions, but they bring in enough outside tag teams to kind of legitimize it as like, Hey, these are the best tag teams from this particular area. And to put, to put that $1 million prize and, all the guys are talking about it, and, and mm-hmm. you know, every team is talking, it's hitting that point. It just it, it's a one it's a really great driver in terms of all of these guys being able to cut promos, do it in two minutes or less, and they'll talk about four different things, get in and out, and there you don't lose the thread when they're talking. It's just it's masterful work.
2: But uh
0: so let's see, we get Jimmy Valiant versus Thunderfoot number two is our first <laughs> match. Thunderfoot. For- for Thunderfoot too. Jimmy Valiant won't quit messing with his mask the whole match. He's he's a baby face, but he's Russell's heel. Yep. The whole match. Because again, that's this is something Cornette says. Uh, don't when you change from heel to baby face or baby face to heel, don't change what you do too much. Because you got over doing that. Just keep doing that. All is is what is it? Uh um, I was telling my wife this with Miz being a, a baby face now. Like he Miz can do the same stuff. That he's been doing to baby faces, just to the heels Heel to the heels, and right. it'll work great because people want to cheer at Miz anyway. But that's back to, I, I've said that for a while. People want to. to there's enough wrestling fans that respect him that want to cheer because he was a white hot baby face facing Shane at WrestleMania. Yep. Anyway, getting back, Jimmy Valiant is also a super over babyface. Yeah, he had just finished. At Starcade, so at in November, yeah, November. He November eighty six. Yeah, he had just finished the uh, like the hair versus hair storyline with him that him and Paul Jones had been in for almost a year. Okay, so that's he's been just kind of hanging around. He doesn't have really anything to do. I think he's he's. I don't think he's going to stay with Crockett very much longer anyway, uh, but. You know, he's a good guy to have on TV. He cuts a good promo. Um, He was having fun out there in the match. You could see that. Uh, He did a good bit of cheating. He bit the guy's fingers at one point. Thumbed him in the throat a couple (laughs) times. Oh, yeah, he got the thumb to the throat. Uh, But the crowd was loving it. Then he hits the big elbow drop, comes off, does the the promo with Tony Shivato. You will see, I mean, I mean uh, Jimmy Valley was basically
1: having a conversation with Shivani throughout the whole match. He just yeah. kept barking at him. And, <laughs> and the thing is that that room is so small that the, the microphones pick it up. Mm. So, like, literally, even though Shivani's saying, you know, it got to the point where Tony wasn't repeating what uh, Jimmy Fallon was saying. He was just basically answering back like, yeah, 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 Man. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that <laughs> one was, was for was me, great. apparently.
0: Yeah, it was great. Uh, his he's uh, the crowd wants uh, Jimmy Valiant to give Tony some sugar, which he'd been doing that the past few weeks. He'd been kissing, he'll grab Tony just by the side of the face and kiss him square on the lips, man. It's oh hilarious. Oh my gosh! Oh uh, my gosh, talking about they're going to do some kissing later. Uh, Jimmy Valiant says he was up all night. I don't doubt that one bit. Nope. <laughs> uh, but then he starts, he talks about the Crockett Cup. Again, he's going to find a partner, and, and he's going to be in the Crockett Cup. And if he wins the million dollars, he's going to take his half and give it to the various charities, which I could again, 100% believe, because everything I've ever heard by Jimmy Valiant is that he's one of the nicest guys in the wrestling business ever. So I can totally believe that he would give a ton of money to... You know the YMCA and the uh, boys and girls clubs and shit like that. So and all and, all, and all the all the alphabet all, all the letters of the alphabet, Tony. <laughs> all these letters, all these all letters, and these, these places all these letters, I'm involved Tony. with them. <laughs> Tony Shavato. You, I'm telling you, man. I just
1: I just got a good laugh just watching you know Jimmy Valley because I saw I, I just watched him and I was just like, man, it's been so long. Like I, I haven't watched the Jimmy Valley match in whew, forever. And the, the one thing I can always remember, whoo, Merce, you know, I can always remember the, the promos, mm-hmm. not necessarily his matches, but I always remember the promos because his voice was just, well. That, you could tell he, he looked like he was like really legitimately out there. Yeah. And it was, it was <laughs> well, it, awesome.
0: It's so funny because he had learned, he had finally gotten to the point where he realized he didn't have to do a whole hell of a lot in a match at all to you be know. over. Like, he could do just the – he could literally just go in there, hit the elbow, drop and have it be done, and the people would still cheer him. But he's just out there having a good time, you know, and he's a character. That's – and he's legitimately a character. Like, he's not pretending to be something he's not. He's, you know, that's who he is.
1: Jimmy Valiant in that match with Thunderfoot worked. I don't know how long that match went, 10, 12 minutes. Jimmy Valley didn't take a single bump. Nope. Not one single bump. And, and it was it was just a bunch of different holes. And if you watch the match, it, it was just basically like, you know, he'll go to the audience, he'll do one thing, do another, you know, turn with the mask. It was all a bunch of different little things. And, yes, it's heelish, but he's doing it in, in, a, in like a fun, you know, making playful. fun of the heels. Yeah, like a playful way. And I, I just watched the match and I just thought to myself, this dude just worked. He had like probably the first fifteen minutes of this show, match promo, everything. Dude didn't take a single bump, not mm-hmm. one.
3: Mm-hmm. Man, that's masterful.
0: that's masterful. That's yep. masterful. I'm telling you, <laughs> Thunderfoot <laughs> took you. a good amount of bumps, but
1: <laughs> oh no! Listen, th- th- yeah. Yeah, th- th- Thunderfoot, yeah, uh, Thunderfoot, poor poor guy, man. He was he. The man, he, 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 the
0: the, the six, spot six where from Sunday the <laughs> spot where Valiant turned his mask around backwards. <laughs> Thunderfoot's just
2: <laughs> like yeah,
0: he's he's legitimately because because I could tell that even through the mask.
1: And the thing is, is that I'm I'm looking at the mask and I'm like, it's basically a mask that's very reminiscent to like Mr. Wrestling Number Two, mm-hmm. except that it's got all the colors on it. But um, as I was watching, I was like, this this Thunderfoot guy is a I could tell that he's a good worker just by the way he moved around the ring. It's just mm-hmm. a matter that he was out there to do a job to, yeah. to Jimmy Valiant. But um, you know, he, he looked he looked like when he got the little bit of offense that he got, you know, you could tell that, you know, outside of the Crockett territory, I'm sure that somewhere in some other territory somewhere else that he was probably, he was probably, uh, you
0: know, one and two were a uh, tag team and uh, I'm wouldn't be surprised if they were in the Crockett cup that year. Uh, they, uh, but they were, you know, they were mid card tag team guys, They'd win at probably house shows, lose most of the time on TV, lose most of the big matches, but the the wrestling business needs people like that, you know. And I think that's <laughs> the thing that most people don't understand about the wrestling business is everybody can't be fucking Hulk Hogan, you know. Somebody needs to be the Brooklyn Brawler, and but the Brooklyn is- Brawler is re- beloved and remembered by everyone. Iron Mike Sharp, uh, you know, Barry Horowitz, those guys, you know, because those guys were good workers. They had to be because they had to make anybody they were in the ring with, they had to make them look good. And that is not necessarily easy. Unless it's like the Road Warriors who will just make themselves look good because they'll throw you around the ring whether you want to be thrown or not. That's you know. right, and
1: and I and I mean it's it, you know to like when I look at the Thunderfoot and I look at and, and I kind of did a little research on them and I knew they were part of a tag team. It's like in my mind, I'm thinking that the WWF equivalent would have been the Conquistadors. Mm-hmm. You know, like you know the the guys under the mask of the Conquistadors were damn good wrestlers. They really were. It's just a matter that again, like you said. They're not they're not out there to get themselves over. They're out there to get the match over, get their opponents over. And and if they do that, they did their job. Mm-hmm. And that's what Thunderfoot was out there to do in this bout. He was out there to get Jimmy Valiant over and basically have a fun opening match where you can you can kind of get the crowd into it and you know get the television audience warmed up. And Jimmy Valiant at the time, you know, is a big star in that territory. And to have him go out there and work a twelve minute match and do what he does, it was it was excellent exactly. for what they needed.
0: So then, uh, let's see, Valiant goes off. Then we get uh, Rick Rude, Raging Bull, uh, and uh, Paul Jones out there for a promo. Uh, They uh, talk about, uh, Paul Jones talks about the Cade matches that the Rock and Roll Express wants to have. Um, Rick Rude gets in and says his little bit. Raging Bull, I was actually, I was surprised. I wrote this, Raging Bull actually wrapped up his promo. I don't know how many Raging Bull (laughs) promos you've seen, but this guy just goes, it's like his promos are just like this run-on sentence that keeps like, it's going somewhere, it's going somewhere, and then it never goes anywhere. You know, he just keeps saying thing after thing. Let me tell you one more thing. and Let me tell you one more thing. And it just never wraps up until somebody's like, okay, well, we're out of time. But he actually wrapped this one up. So good good on you, Raging Bull.
1: I I laugh because when I think of Manny Fernandez cutting those promos, the first person that I thought of was Dr. Depp Steve Williams.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Because whenever Doc would cut a a promo, I was just like, oh, boy. I was like, listen, Doc was an amazing wrestler and could probably legit lift a small house if he wanted to, but not exactly uh, the best during promos. And he's a guy that sometimes would get, he would he would either get lost in a thought or he would get so intense that he would blank out and not realize that hey we you know we gotta land a plane here and mm-hmm. sometimes i was really up to the announcer to kind of get him there you know I, I think a doc to a lesser degree i think of, of a young sting when yeah. you know he he would cut his promos and they would go nowhere but he was so intense he would just howl and the, and the audience would lose it and that's all he needed to do but with with manny fernandez i know that've i've heard him cut promos and you're right they would just go on and on and on and we're like hey Uh, hey hey, hey, brother we got let's bring let's bring you back in like you know let's get to the end of the sermon here but uh you know paul paul jones listen paul jones is fantastic what a great promo paul jones is Mm -hmm. um i would laugh because when i saw him dressed the only thing that i thought to myself was like he was like an evil ringmaster of a circus (laughs) like the way he's dressed yeah and and the thing is when i think of rick rude like this is february of 87 and to think that Rick Rude went to the WWF not long after this, he was probably, I don't know what the math is, six months, eight months later, he was in the WWF. And I i remember watching older tapes of him when he first started.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: to think that from, that's, I don't know, 84, 85, up to 87, it's just, it, it was completely different. Like that ravishing Rick Rude that you saw on that episode of uh, WCW, mm-hmm. uh that was very close to what Ravishing Rick Rude was when he first got to the WWF Yeah, and he only improved upon it over, over the years. But um, I was really surprised because when I saw Ravishing Rick Rude, I thought to myself, like, no, this is, this is kind of what I remember when he got to the WWF and there wasn't, there wasn't much of a, of a level difference when I saw that versus what I saw when he got to New What's York. What's
0: amazing is, is he had only come in, in the, towards the tail end of 86. He's only been there a couple months and he's already improved leaps and bounds from when he first came in his promos of the three. I always liked his promos the best recently because he's, I don't know, the more interesting usually, I think he was a little, he might've been a little jet lagged or something in this episode. Cause he seemed like he just wasn't that into it, but uh, his promos have, had gotten better. His in-ring work is good. You know, he was doing a, uh, he's still doing the DDT, as the, uh, um, not the net breaker, as the Rude Awakening. So oh, okay. he hadn't switched over to doing the net breaker as the Rude Awakening yet. Um, so, and I also, I saw a video the other day of when him and Sting had their rivalry in WCW. And I was like, oh man, I, I remember those matches. Like they were, I hated Rick Rude. I hated him so much. <laughs> Which means he was so good at what he did to get my seven-year-old ass to just, just despise him you know
1: uh, listen i'll tell you i mean when rick rude when rick rude got to wcw and i think this is 1991 if i'm not mistaken when he got to wcw in his second tour of duty after his his tenure in wwf i remember the one thing that i remember was is how impactful that was to me because it was one of the first times that i actually saw a a wwf wrestler make the transition over i know that I'd seen steamboat do it but I think with Steamboat, the fact that he was wrestling against Flair and he was in the main event, in my mind, it made sense to say, hey, he was the WWF Intercontinental Champion. And then to go to WCW and be the top babyface star, that made sense to me. When Rick Rude came in, it was at a different time in WCW where they were not – it seemed like a lot of the, the the luster of the Jim Crockett days was already gone. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to find a new identity. And to see Rick Rude go there – I thought to myself, I was like, wow, this guy was main eventing on WWF pay-per-views with the Ultimate Warrior and wrestling for the WWF title, and then come to WCW, and it felt like a step down, regardless of whether he was the, you know, the top heel, and then obviously with Paul Lee and the Dangerous Alliance, and then working against Sting and Steamboat and all those other, the, the other baby faces, you know, Nikita, you know, Dustin Rhodes, Barry Windham, uh, and that was great. That that uh, Wrestle War '92 match was. That, that's still my favorite war games match uh yeah. you know and that's like if, if there's ever one war games match that i watch i'm like watch that one because all the other ones by comparison no disrespect they stink by comparison um <laughs> because you know the stories were so good yeah but that but that was just something that to me was very impactful but to see rick root here at this episode in 87 i really looked up and i said this this looks a lot like the ravishing recruit that i remember as a kid in the wwf which was kind of impressive because when i saw from you know i think it was in uh mid-south or something like that from you know two three years earlier he looks he looked kind of lost out there and yeah. to think that he did leaps and bounds that quickly it it shows it shows you the difference in the wrestling business and the way that people were taught back then you know the level of talent but it also tells you a lot about rick root the person how quickly he was able to pick it up and you know, become a major star very quickly in professional wrestling.
0: Oh yeah. Well, see. I'm on the other side of the coin because I remembered him from this run. So to me, Rick Rude was a WCW guy that went to WWF and then came back home to WCW. Yep. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So, yeah, that's, that's
1: the, that's the difference. I was a Northeast guy. I didn't get yep. WCW until about 89, 90. So at that point, Rick Rude was, uh, he, he, was, he was firmly on the WWF team at that point.
0: Yep. So, uh, but yeah, it was a good promo by them. Then we get uh, Brad Armstrong versus Larry Stevens.
1: God, Brad Armstrong! How great is he? Oh, oh my so god! Just, oh, the
0: first thing I wrote is so smooth, like oh. it's just ridiculous. It's
1: silky smooth. That guy is so good. God bless him, man! What a great talent. Um, oh, uh, yeah, and, that, the, and that and that and that physique.
0: Ooh,
2: I know, man, right? Brad,
0: like my he, God, Brad Armstrong was. Buff, man, that dude looked. He looked Rolic, like a man. million bucks. wrestled smooth as silk. It's just, it's a shame he couldn't cut a very good promo. That's really the only thing that, like, man. that was the only, uh, uh, you know, missing piece in his in his game. That really, like, I think if he had been a better promo, he could have. He would really could have been one of the top guys. I think he still could have been one of the top guys, even not cutting a great promo. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah,
1: you could imagine Brad Armstrong having Road Dog's promo, or Road Dog having Brad Armstrong's physique and wrestling skill. Woo, woo, woo. Yeah, baby, because because no, it, it it almost seemed like all four Bullet Bob's boys got, you know, one one of his traits. It almost seemed like Bullet Bob for his time was like he had everything for that audience and at, at that time, and all four of his sons were blessed with parts of of his his uh, wrestling traits, but I don't think that any one of them None had of a them complete package. All of None them, of them yeah. ha- None of them got all of them. That's, nope. that's the point.
0: But uh, let's see, I was missing David uh, Crockett here on commentary. I, I, I like Tony. Tony's all right, but I miss having David Crockett out there with him because David kind of
3: he
0: reigns Tony in sometimes, or he'll like change the subject in a way that like, I don't know. I feel like Tony just kind of says things sometimes and he doesn't, he's not with it. I don't know how to put it any better than that.
1: Yeah. I, th- I thought that in listening to Tony Schiavone, it, the one thing that I did realize is that when, when I listened to Tony Schiavone and, and I hate saying this because I, I have a lot of respect for Tony, but I kind of found him to be boring as a one man operation. Mm-hmm. Um, in, I remember in that NWA that Crockett era when Jim Ross would do it by himself at times.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Jim Ross was great at doing it because he knew how to change levels in a much better way when he got to do it. Yeah. And even then, and even then, Ross still needed, you know, another person. And I think that when he was working, you know, the little bit that he worked with Jesse Ventura before he left. But then when Shivani and Ventura started working together, it it's like jesse was able to get tony animated like a tony tony is like very um cut and dry x's and o's type of thing but it almost seemed like he lacks a little bit of the emotion you know that and that and that's like the little the little seasoning or the color or whatever you want to call it to kind of pick the story up and what you're seeing you know you could clearly see it but if the announcer can amplify it with uh you know other accoutrements that the match may not necessarily have on its own that's how you elevate everything you see on the program.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly you, – you hit the nail on the head. David brought an emotion and a caring about what happened in the match and the good guys and the bad guys that Tony just doesn't have right now. Um, but anyway, uh, the girls are chanting for Brad, of course. Look at him. You know he's going to be popular with the, ba- yeah. with the with the ladies. Um, Absolutely. I loved Brad's work on the arm in this match. He worked the hell out of that arm in so many different ways, and the the baby the the his the jobber sold it sold it well.
1: Um, he tortured that. It, it's like Brad Armstrong tortured that poor guy, and he and he didn't do a single dirty thing. Yep, <laughs> he just he just kept out wrestling him, arm drags, you know, hammer locks. All types of stuff, and the, uh, even
0: th- right there at the very beginning, when he uh, got out of the head scissors and transitioned it into the uh, the cross legs, almost a cross face, and then went right to a headlock. Like, but then Brad picks it up and he hits that giant lariat. I mean, he knocked the dude silly with that thing. I think the guy felt- actually landed on his head because he over rotated but
1: yeah i felt i felt it watching it on tv and and this show was you know 35
0: years ago and i felt it i was like holy mackerel (laughs) but then of course he hits the russian leg sweep and the pin and that russian the russian leg sweep to the float over pin is i want more people to do that (laughs) today you know like it's such a cool looking move man like
3: I and, think, and, and, and I,
0: relative and relatively safe. Like you could do that over and over again and it's not going to kill you. I've seen the only person I think I've seen hit it in recent years is Roxanne Perez will hit it every once in a while. She'll do the Russian leg sweep into the, uh, into the pit and it looks so good, you know uh, for a girl, her size doing it is kind of, it looks a little weird if the person's much bigger than her, but, yep. uh, but yeah, it's, it, it's a, it's a fantastic move. Something to add to your repertoire there. Potential wrestlers that are listening tonight,
1: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Whenever you're ab, ab, listening, absolutely. I think listen that that's a that's a great wrestling move, and I think that it's it's weird because the only other person that I ever saw use the Russian leg sweep on a regular basis was brett the Hitman Hart. He mm-hmm. would use it on just about, but he but he didn't use it as a as a finishing move. He couldn't use it as a kind of a transitional thing. Yeah, and if he and if he pinned you, you knew that you're not, he wasn't beating anybody with it. But when I saw Brad Armstrong use it. And he used it over and over again. I remember him winning a lot of matches with it. Um, and this is not, you know, mind you, this is, we're talking later in the 80s, even in the early 90s, watching Brad Armstrong. He would win the, you know, the, w, the WCW light heavyweight title at the time with it, beating Scotty mm-hmm. Flamingo. So I, I've seen him use it many, many a times. And it looked great. And Brad's a big dude. So when he hits you with it, you know, he it, it's believable in it the way that he impactful. would work yes and the way that he would work on the guy's arm and neck throughout the whole match so when you hit it it makes sense that the guy would be like all right that's it you're yep. we're, we're done
0: yeah nope i don't want any more of this yeah, yeah. i'm ready to go take a shower thanks
1: <laughs> i'll
0: hit the pay window yeah i'll take i'll take my per diem and get out of here you yeah know? yeah see if i can find a rat on the way out oh boy <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right um well let's see we get that great Brad Armstrong match, go to a commercial break, come back. We get a Rock and Roll Express Ricky Morton promo. And let me tell you, folks, he it's that a guy. Every Woo. Ricky Morton is a master class in cutting a baby face, fired up promo. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I put, he's cutting a great promo. He hits on the Garvin Corn, Cornet situation, uh, He, uh, which we'll get into here in a minute. Uh, He talks about the Crockett cup and how the rock and roll is going to win the Crockett cup. Um, He talks about how he can turn poison Ivy into a rosebush. I thought that was very nice (laughs) little, uh, little way to put it. Uh, And he talks about all the outside interference from uh, Paul Jones during the matches. And that's why they want the cage match, which again, that's what cage matches are supposed to be. No one gets in, no one gets out. Until it's, but that's the one thing about the WWF I never liked, still don't like it to this day is that you can win a cage match by escaping the cage because that completely negates the entire reason why you would have a cage match. Yep. <laughs> you know? Yep. Yeah. Uh.
1: It, it it almost, it almost looks like you're, you're being rewarded for, for running away. Mm-hmm. Then, then getting in there and be like, all right, we're, we're going to fight until one, one guy can't get up anymore. And. Yeah, that 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 definitely makes sense. And the one thing I noticed about this promo was, Ricky Morton talked for about two minutes, and Robert Gibson didn't say a word. Didn't have to. Didn't have to, man. I, what 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 are you gonna say? I mean, the the one thing I noticed when I saw the Rock and Roll Express, I was like, man, these these dudes when when they were younger, they it's like I can understand why the ladies liked them when they were younger. I mean, uh, you know, obviously it looked like probably within the you know the next six seven years, you know, they kind of aged up, you know quickly. But back then. They look like the heartthrob baby face, you know, tag team. And, and the thing is, regardless of their size, you know, Ricky Morton probably only stands about five, six, five, seven. Yeah, and he's,
0: he's a short dude.
1: He, he's a short dude. And and there's no way that he weighs probably more than 180 pounds, but he cuts such a fired up promo. And he's so believable that you want to see the rock and roll express get into it with somebody. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that, and, 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 that right there I was like that's perfect. I was like, you know, if you if you want to learn how to cut a babyface promo, watch Ricky Morton. I'd and, say
0: watch Ricky Morton for everything. If you want to learn how to sell, oof. how to really sell and get people behind you and make them believe that you are in serious, dire need of help, man, Ricky Morton was the best. Uh go back and watch him versus uh Ric Flair at uh Great American Bash eighty six. That dude, he, because he, that, yeah, that was when he had the, the broken, he was working the broken nose angle. And, uh, because he was still working that at Starcade when they had the match against the Andersons, Ole and Arn. And, I mean, everybody, anytime anybody would grab that nose, man, he would just crumble and he would just drop, you know, and he would, he's, he's crying and he's, you could just see the pain all over his face. He's reaching out. To the audience, help me, help me, trying to get the tag. And it's just, it's so good. And he's not just selling the whole time. He gives you these little hope spots. He never stops trying to fight back, which makes it almost even worse of how much he's getting beat, you know, because he just won't stay down. And that's perfect, perfect ring psychology for an undersized baby face. Like anybody under if you're under 110 pounds or under 110 under under 200 pounds and you're a baby face watch ricky morton study him because nobody ever did it better ever for that size
1: and if if they're and 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 for more and for more modern more you know i'd be like listen i look at i think of ricky morton Ricky Steamboat was great at at selling. I know that even even though it may not always be perfect at times when he was a single, but I know Shawn Michaels is very good at it. Um, even even though sometimes you know when you know when when he was uh, not exactly straight in the head, he would you know he would act out at times.
0: But Shawn Michaels was great at it when he wanted to be. When he wanted to. In his first run. In his second run. He was amazing. I, I still think Shawn Michaels' second run with the WWF is so much superior to his first run. I mean, he only won a couple of championships. It's not like he was—he didn't get super decorated, but he had the best matches, good programs. He would actually put people over, help get them over. You know. Um, yep. I mean, I don't—I don't think Jericho would have been as big a star if he as he was if Shawn Michaels hadn't gone that far helping to get jericho over
1: yeah i mean i i know that and even though that jericho at that time in 2000 i believe it was 2002 2003 when he was working with Shawn michaels i know that jericho had already worked at the rock and he had already i think he was already the undisputed champion at that point you know he had already had his run as the champion and i i think that that match what it did was is that it gave Jericho a WrestleMania moment where he was finally able to separate himself from the rest of the pack mm-hmm. for the things that he can naturally do better than most mm-hmm. at that time. Um, and, and although he had been the champion and he'd worked main events, and 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 the WWF had done a lot of good with him uh, prior to that, but I think that that was the one like spotlight moment in that period, that time of Jericho's career in the WWE that really you know solidified him for what he can specifically do better mm-hmm. than most.
0: Uh, so anyway, all right, we go with time for page two. <laughs> any of you, any, any Paul Harvey fans out there will know what I'm talking about. Everybody else be like, what page two, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> yes. I, I, you know, look, I actually write this shit down on paper. I have my notepad right here.
1: Yeah. I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm a little more modern. Here. Yeah, I, just, you know, I have yeah, it. I have it on my yeah, phone. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: So, all right, so here we go, the big angle. This is the the thread that has that we haven't we haven't really talked about because everybody else has kind of commented on it, but nobody well Ricky Morton spilled the beans, but we, we kind of skimmed over that. This is the big angle that this whole show kind of weaves through, or that weaves through this whole show. This is what everybody's talking about. And I remember when this happened and it was freaking huge. I was livid. Um, we get a VTR of Ronnie Garvin versus and Barry Windham versus the Midnight Express for the United States titles, United States tag team titles. Uh, They're working over Barry. Finally, Barry hits a suplex and a great hot tag to Ronnie Garvin who comes in and big comeback cleans house. But uh, let's see, there's a pin and a save and then everybody kind of gets distracted except for Cornette and Garvin and cornet comes into the ring and throws a fireball in garvin's face and perfectly too right, what was that perfectly oh yeah right in his face he's actually said he threw it he, he threw it a little too close cuz he singed garvin's eyebrows off but <laughs> it it looked perfect it looks absolutely perfect on the video like just you you couldn't get a better shot of it than they got, like, of it coming right out of Cornette's hands, right up into Ronnie Garvin's face. And Garvin sells the shit out of it. He immediately drops, and he's rolling around in pain. He's got his, he keeps his face covered up the whole time. This is, that's the one thing you have to do with an angle like this, is you got to keep your face covered up. You can't let anybody see your face at all, even though that's counterproductive to a burn that's completely beside the point. You got to keep it covered up because you can't let people see that you aren't actually burnt. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You've got to sell the gimmick. You've got to make them believe it. Uh, then the, of course the baby faces hit the ring and the midnight scatter. Of course they got the police officers helping them get to the back because I'm sure there were a couple of knives drawn along that, uh, that oh, way yeah. on the way to the back of, I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if they got hit by an umbrella or two from a grandma. You never know. Courtney is going to need that racket to get out of there. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'll bet you he had the racket loaded that night. Oh, not sure I
1: sure would not would not be surprised.
0: Well, actually, he says that he used to when he would hit people in the audience. He when he fighting against them that he would hit him with the the hard side of the racket, not the. He's like, if you hit him with that hard side of the racket, that's going to make him think twice. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. But so, and they uh, just, he sold, the biggest thing was that he sold the shit out of it. And I say this because this is something that pissed me off at, um, what was the pay-per-view before this last one, before Crown Jewel?
1: It wasn't. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Was it it Payback uh... or Backlash? Probably, probably backlash. Yeah. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, Summerslam. What am I talking about? It's like we're in November already. Anyway,
0: it was this was the Nakamura Seth match that I'm talking about.
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The oh, mist, my
0: God. the way Seth basically no sold the mist, which the red mist. If in case you guys don't know, mist different color mists do different things. Very hard. Oh brother! Oh brother! The red, the red mist is supposed to knock you out, blind you, and burn your face. There is no way if you got hit with red mist, you should have been able to finish a match, period. Not only win the match and go another 10 minutes in the match and completely no-sell that you got hit by the second deadliest mist there is because the black's the deadliest. That one takes you out for weeks supposed to it's supposed to again we don't nobody nobody keeps up with this shit anymore except for those of us that are like that's not right that's not you can't back back slap tags are not real tags oh god oh, oh, I hate that man it's it's got to be a hand on hand and you can't just get in the ring and immediately tag somebody else in you have to make physical contact with your opponent before you can tag out of the match but anyway <laughs> and you can't be standing on the ropes and when your tag partner is getting the shit beat out of him you don't stand on uh, uh, you stand on the apron and you act concerned and you pace back and forth and you act like you're getting the shit beat out of you and you want to help him and do anything you can
1: not- and, after, and after a while, you got to jump in there and try to help him out. Let the referee run you out. You know, let whatever. the
0: referee run you out, so the the heels can double team your your guy while you're arguing with the referee to try and turn him around, or the or the heels do a uh, um, a no tag switcheroo, and they yep. tell the and they tell the referee that they tagged, and he believes them because. Be like, hey, there was a tag. There was a tag. can you Yeah, hear it? yeah, yeah. We tagged. We tagged. Yeah, I mean, this is this is. I don't understand how people don't get this anymore because this is the simplest shit to do to get heat. And I've seen people do it and it still gets heat every time. Pretty deadly was great about this in NXT UK. They're some of the best at getting like legitimate tag team heat because they're just not following the rules behind the referees back.
1: Yep. I mean, I, I, remember this dates back probably about a year or so ago, but I went to see an independent show locally here where I live. And I remember talking to one of the wrestlers and I was telling him, listen, man, I don't want to come across as disrespectful, but you got to tell these guys who worked the last tag match. And he was like, what, what do you say? And I was just like, it's simple. Both teams didn't realize what the business of the match was. The heels, the heels looked like a, pretty like a pretty boy version of the Road warriors Mm -hmm. and i know that sounds kind of weird but just picture that in your mind what that looks like and then the baby faces look like a i hate saying this but it almost looked like a bargain brand version of the rock and roll express slash hardy boys the original Mm -hmm. uh, with matt and jeff and i just looked at him and i said if the heels are the people that you're pushing then the match needs to reflect that and the baby faces would make their own comebacks there, were, there was no referee distractions. You weren't taunting the other partner while you were beating the other guy in the ring. It was like so many things were done wrong. And in the end, you guys were looking to kind of have the cool spots. And I'm like, cool spots don't matter. If you're if you're the supposed main event tag team and you're working with a team that I'm, you know, I'm talking to the, the people in the audience that go to these shows regularly. It's like, oh, it's the first time here. So I'm like, then why am I watching a 15-minute competitive match? If these guys are here to put the heel team over... Then, yeah, the baby faces can have their moments and, and all that stuff, but the psychology of the match is completely wrong. And I just thought to myself, I'm like, it looks like you guys are four guys working a semi-tornado style match and not understanding the basic tenements of a tag team match and how to get yourselves over. And at the end, I was just looking around and saying, man, you're doing everything wrong,
0: like everything Oh yeah, I well, I mean that's one of my biggest gripes with tag team wrestling. <laughs> period. Today is, it's either all four guys in the ring, or it functions more as uh, a like two singles matches. Yep. Where the the other the partners on the floor selling from their singles match with the other partner, and then it all devolves into uh, all four guys in the ring, and then something happens and there's a victory, instead of and I you know. It's really, really, really this simple, and it works every fucking time. Baby face shine, cut off. Heel heat, heat, comeback, you know, hope spot, hope heat, vibes. heat, hope spot, heat, heat, hot tag, finish. That's it. That's that's all you need. The hot tag, the comeback, and then once the hot tag's ma- tag is made, you've got to go to the finish very very soon afterwards because that's when you've got the hot tags when you got the people the most invested in the match you're ever going to get them if you work the heat right before it. yep because they will they will throw babies in the air they will throw babies to you in the ring (laughs) you know what i mean like they will uh you know they're just overjoyed to see the, the other baby face finally come in and give those dastardly heels what they've deserved all match because they've done nothing but belittle the beloved baby face. Go home, you know? Yeah. I yeah, mean, it's wants- really not that hard, and it works every time. There's a reason it worked for, what, 40, 50 fucking years. There's You don't need to reinvent the wheel on this one because— You don't? No, you, you really don't.
1: don't. I mean, I tell people all the time. If you watch any Midnight Express versus Rock and Roll Express match of that era, even the Midnight Express against the Fantastics uh, at the time, you know, like one of my favorite tag team matches from the WWF was from SummerSlam '89, the Hart Foundation against the Brainbusters. Oh, and that was the open. Oh. That was the opening match, mm-hmm. and I just and I looked up and I was like, just watch that match, and it, it was. It's a match that you you could have put that match on any you know on a later spot on the show and it would have gotten just as much heat and they and they were there in the beginning and it's just it's the basic tenement. it's just you know it's exactly the rundown that you that you gave and it's it's one it's one of those things that when you watch it I always say that when wrestling is done correctly it's a beautiful thing to watch it's just a matter that a lot of times people that are very athletic want to do a lot of really cool things but sometimes less is more you have to know you have to know when to pull those triggers it's not supposed to be done every single time because when you do it every single time little by little it begins to lose its effect because the audience has already seen it and they're not going to pop for it hmm. so you you know pick and choose your spots and then when you hit those big moves you're going to get the exact reaction you want from the audience build
0: towards the big moves and I only have one or two of them there that's that's, that's really all you need. And, and I think and this is something I think a lot of people misconstrue this when we say wrestling is a beautiful thing when done right. It's not the moves. It's not the yes, the moves are cool, you know, but it's not a bunch of ac- acrobatic moves. I'm talking about crisp, clean execution, great ring psychology. When it's done right, less is more means everything. So, you know, yes, I love, I love it when a guy can hit a moonsault off the top rope, but he should only hit, only have to hit one per match. And that should be the finish or close to the finish because there's no reason for a moonsault in the middle of a match. Not not for one that's going to connect. If it's going to mean something, if you're going to do something like that, that that's hard on your body, make it mean something. Exactly. You know. Yeah,
1: definitely. Definitely. For for today's talents, I would just say you got to try your best to get yourself over. And, you know, I know that some guys can do it talking. Other guys can do it with their look. Other guys can do it with cool moves and spots. But at the end of the day, you have you have to know how far you want to stretch, especially for those guys that have to do it with cool moves you got to know where where your limits are because you know you're only human and your body can only take
0: but so much. Oh, there's only so many bumps on your bump card, and once that it's up, is... it's up. You got it. You uh, got it. Uh, okay, let's see. We get we come back from the VTR, which was a great VTR, by the way. Like that's that's how you do a, a VTR segment. You know, it was what was that under yep. five minutes? It wasn't even. You know, we got. Yeah. The end of the match, we got the fireball angle. We got the baby faces in the ring. Go to commercial. We come back. We got Bob Arm, Bob and Brad Armstrong there. Brad's doing his best. He's stuttering a little bit. I think he's, I think he's even more nervous because his dad's there. You know what I mean? I I
1: will I will say this. The only criticism that I had of Brad Armstrong cutting that promo was, is that he just had a match. Let's call it ten minutes earlier, and he's walking around you know with shades trying to look like Ric Flair and Tully Blanchard I mm-hmm. thought that was kind of silly because if you're a baby face you're not trying to look like one of the cool heels that that was my only criticism well, and that's a minor did thing Did you
0: see how thick those glasses are?
1: He, those are probably those are probably his you know his glasses so he those can are see I don't know
0: glasses yeah
1: probably yeah. but they they just they just looked a little too cool for the you know for that set yeah. but Yeah I got you but but the thing is with Brad Armstrong again Brad Armstrong looked like a million bucks and he tried and, and you're right he tried his promo's not the best. And, and the thing is when, when he gave it to, to Bullet Bob, he basically, uh, you know, Bullet Bob just, um, you know, reinforced all the points that Brad was talking about, you know, talked about the Garvin, you know, the Garvin angle, talked about the, the Crockett cup and, you know, they were, they were just kind of moving it along, but Bob Armstrong took with what Brad gave him, you know, whether fumble, you know, or not, you know, Bullet Bob took it, you know, Came and, home with it, and he, he only spoke for like maybe twenty seconds. He didn't yeah, speak but for very Bullet long. Bob
0: is so smooth on the mic. It was so good, like just the way the words came out of him and his phrasing. And I was just like, "Oh my god!" Like now, I like now I get why Bullet Bob is like. I, I mean, I've seen him do promos before, but this one really like hit home. Like thirty seconds of a great promo is just fantastic, and he. Yeah, you're right he hit every nail on the head in those 30 seconds picked up what brad was saying didn't skip a beat no
1: and and the one thing about bullet bob armstrong and and it's weird because you see me being a northeast guy it's like when i when i listen to a guy like bob armstrong you know he may not come across for a guy like me in the northeast as a guy who would be a main eventer Mm -hmm. but as I've gotten myself, as I've watched more Southern wrestling and, you know, really this era of like Jim Crockett, WCW, that kind of introduced me to the Southern style of wrestling. And I started to understand that a lot of these guys, they they have that, you know, they have that, uh, you know, the Southern the Southern drawl and the way they speak. But I'm like, the way that Bob Armstrong speaks to that audience is perfect because that audience understands exactly what Bob is saying. They believe Bob. And they want to see bob go out there and and do whatever it is that he was talking about Mm -hmm. and and for that audience it's perfect and even though for me as a northeast guy i may not especially at that time wouldn't have seen him as a as a top draw but as i watch it now and i realize bob armstrong for that audience at that period he was he was you know top-notch babyface
0: oh yeah yeah He, he he spoke to the people in the language of the people exactly and they yeah yeah you're you're exactly right but he did it eloquently and you know with a uh
3: i don't know how to put it
0: this was the same thing as dusty Rhodes. i mean dusty Rhodes doesn't sound like a harvard professor no but 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 you believe every word that comes out of his mouth and you want to see him do it because you believe in him yeah and the thing about it is is that
1: even though bob armstrong has a different charisma than than dusty Um, because what Bob Bob Armstrong, his, his charisma is very, he's very much like a, um, this is when, when wrestling, you know, people really still believed in wrestling Mm -hmm. and they, and they believed in, you know, we, we cheer for the baby faces. We boo the heels and a Mm -hmm. guy like Bob Armstrong is the kind he's like the tough guy, the tough guy neighbor that lives next door to you. Mm -hmm. But even though, you know, that he can, he can kick your ass if he wanted to, he's the nicest guy in the world. Yeah. And it like. Mm-hmm. Bob's the nicest guy in the world. He'll take you know, he'll give you the shirt off his back. Just don't cross him, yep. you know, kind of thing. And that's it's a different type of thing versus Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes was more of a of a big time showman. Yeah. And even though Dusty could talk all those same points and drive them all home, he just he just had a different presentation. And maybe a guy like Dusty plays to a larger audience because more people, regardless of where you're from,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you, they can look at Dusty and listen to Dusty and. Connect be drawn to him you connect with exactly connected with dusty in different ways versus maybe a guy like bullet bob armstrong you wouldn't connect with him the same way unless you kind of understand yeah. where he's coming from you're, and the you, people that he's you're not going to take bullet
0: bob and put him in california and he's not going to get over as a top baby face in he, california
1: you got it but yeah. you know if, you, if you're if you talking about
0: alabama georgia and areas
1: like that bullet bob armstrong and dusty Rhodes are going to play just the same
2: mm-hmm.
1: but if you take dusty Rhodes and you put him. You know, at the Cow Palace in San Fran, he's going to get over where maybe Bullet Bob wouldn't.
2: Yeah.
0: Nope. I, I completely agree. Okay. We go back to the VTR uh, one last time. Uh, they bring Ronnie into the locker room. And then, really, just the point I wanted to hit with this is Jimmy Garvin runs out of the locker room into the heel locker room and starts beating the crap out of Jim Cornette, which is perfect. Like, and Cornette talks about this, you know, all the time. Because this is a great angle. Like, nobody knew that Jimmy, well, I mean, they're not really related. But we didn't know that Jimmy and Ronnie were related. I've never even put the two Garvins, you know what I mean? Two and two together. And then here this builds this angle. Well, Jimmy is is Ronnie's brother. They never talk about it, but he is. And, you know, now Jimmy's going to use all of his, you know, stuff to get. Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express. And it's just, it's great to see that type of immediate emotional reaction from somebody. And instead of, because today it would just be all, Oh, ringing hands. And, you know, somebody actually, you know what I mean? It would be ringing hands and, and standing by the ambulance and all this. Jimmy's like, fuck this. I'm going to kick his ass. It was a
1: visceral reaction. Yeah, Yeah. it was a very visceral reaction that, you know, most people would believe in a real-life situation.
0: Mm -hmm. So uh, good on them for that.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, that, you know, when I watched that angle and and just looking at it, I just thought to myself, look at all the talent that's in in the ring. Mm -hmm. So, right, on, on on the babyface side, you got Barry Windham and Ronnie Garvin. Now, mind you, Barry Windham at that particular time was one of the best workers in the business smoothest still big super, man
0: still super young too
1: yeah i mean i don't even think he was 30 at the time and God, i don't think he was 25 oh jesus look at that and and ron and ronnie garvin was super over with that audience you know i you know and, and i know i'm not sure if that was um i think he may have become the nwa champion i don't know if that was before then or or, or after this that's after when after and um but they got they got the crazy reaction as baby faces you look at the other side of the ring Dennis Condry and Bobby Eaton great tech team then you got Jim Cornette and Big Bubba
0: you know that that you know as as the as well, you the got heels. Dennis Condry and, one of the most underrated workers in the history of professional wrestling yep period one of the best heels he heels And by healing, you know, I mean cheating and stuff like that. He heals better than almost anybody I've ever seen. He's great at it. You really believe that he's just a nasty, you know, wants nothing to do with anybody, son of a bitch. Uh, Bobby Eaton, one of the greatest workers ever in wrestling. Best, uh, you know, high flying. Uh, I've never seen anybody drop a, a knee off the top rope like he does. Like, yep. I've never seen that ever. And all my, I've seen, I've seen people drop the leg. I've seen people do all other kinds of stuff, but a knee off the top rope. And, uh, you know, Jim Cornette, pro- arguably one of the greatest managers ever in professional wrestling, certainly one of the best talkers. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, not a worker per se, but he could He knew how to work for a manager for a skinny chicken shit manager. He knew how to work that angle in a match. And Big Bubba, one of the most athletic big men ever. I mean, it's the fucking big boss man, dude. Like, he was a huge fucking star. People don't think about how big he came in and immediately started working with fucking Hulk Hogan. Like, well, yeah, when he got to the WWF, oh, yeah. Oh yeah! Like he was a huge fucking star.
1: He and... was a big deal, and and then look at the referee Tommy Young, who in my in my humble opinion, probably the best referee ever.
0: I I, I agree. I agree hundred percent. Tommy, is great, Tommy. I mean Tommy Young. He, you know, and, and we all talk about Earl
1: Hebner and even Mike Yoda, guys like that. You know, in in the more modern time, but a guy a guy like uh, Tommy Young, there there was just something about Tommy that I always loved watching him referee matches because. I always believe that he's calling it down the middle. He has a true intention of making sure that regardless of who wins, that he's calling it right down the middle. He is trying his best to prevent the heels from healing, you know, while, you know, not necessarily pulling for the baby faces, but, you know, he wants it to be,
0: he's playing it straight and he wants it to be fair. And over the course of the match, he sees that one team is also trying to play fair and the other one is not. And, you know, that, will sometimes result in him maybe kicking a hand off the rope when the (laughs) when the heels you know trying to use the rope for uh for leverage leverage exactly you know i've seen him kick a guy kick hands off the rope so a guy can roll a guy up you know like because he knows that that guy's been cheating i haven't caught it but i know he's doing it so here's your comeuppance
1: yeah, and and I mean, and and here's and here's the thing with with the angle, right? When when Cornette hits Ronnie Garvin with with the fireball, it was perfect. Like I thought to myself, you know, I was like, my God, this is perfect. Like it legitimately hit Garvin in the face. And then I look up, and when the the immediacy of it, right? Because Tommy Young was on the floor dealing with whatever was on the floor, but he immediately called for the bell. So Tommy Young did see Cornette you know, throw the fireball and he called for the bell. And then at that point, you see all the baby faces run to the ring. Take a look at who's doing it. Mm-hmm. It's bullet, Bob Armstrong, Tim Horner, the rock and roll express, right? I know there was another, another guy that, that I missed cause I don't remember his name, but then you saw uh, Jimmy Garvin and precious come out. Mm-hmm. Now when Jimmy Garvin came out, everybody, you know, the baby faces reacted properly because they're like, why is this heel coming out yep. in concern for Ronnie Garvin? and then that's where the drama unfolds because you see jimmy garvin and precious who for their entire run there have been heels and ronnie garvin was a chicken shit heel and then in the in the promos that he cut before he would say that very clearly that is like hey ronnie always played by the rules i did not blah well, blah blah his,
0: but... his promo is next
1: yes his promos next but it's really it's a matter of that scene was was perfect because what it did was having jimmy Garvin. And pressures come out after all the baby faces, and he literally pushed all the baby faces out of the way because he's concerned for his brother. That immediately turned Jimmy Garvin babyface mm-hmm. immediately, and for the audience, it confuses the audience. And then it's like, okay, why is this happening? And then obviously, you know, we'll we'll get to to Jimmy's promo. But it was that that whole that whole chain of events made it really really wonderful because of the fact that when all of that is happening. Yes, they're covering Ronnie Garvin's face because, you know, to to cover it, but you see all the action around him. And then you see the the baby faces that come off to, you know, in concern. These are all high level, you know, baby faces on the card to varying degrees. So the audience cares about, oh my God, Ronnie Garvin is hurt, Barry Windham is hurt at you know, out on the floor. Now we got all the babyface locker room emptying out to protect Ronnie Garvin. And then you had Jimmy Garvin run out of the heel locker room with with precious to come and check on his brother. I was like, that's just high drama all the way through. Oh yeah, yep. perfectly done. I mean, I, I was, I was loving it. The, loving the it. sense,
0: I like that you said the sense of immediacy. Everything happened very fast. It was almost a, it was almost confusing, but not completely complete chaos. Um, that you know, nobody had to wait for their music to hit. Nobody danced on their way to the ring. Nope. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like. Well, I mean, well these are the things we do with in modern wrestling that I'm like why are you waiting for your music to hit if your friends in trouble go save them fuck your fucking music
1: like, yeah we'll do we'll we'll do we'll do that another time
0: yeah you know. um but uh yeah so uh yeah we get that and then we come back we get the Jimmy Garvin promo Jimmy looks like he's about to cry which is fantastic works yep. perfectly like he is his facial expression this whole promo is absolutely perfect for what he is saying matches 100 100 believable he says i should be in the hospital for all of the dirty shit that i've done yep. immediate like regret but you know you, he admits that he you know cheats blah 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 um, Yeah, it's
1: repent it, it's it's repentance on live television yeah
0: or- and then he says he, he I, I called it a master class in face turning like in becoming a, in a in a first, you know, heel to babyface promo. It really is because he gives the exact reason he's switching, the exact thing. And then he starts talking about how he's going to get revenge. That he's going to use all of the tools that he learned, you know, being a a no good rotten heel and he's going to use them on the Midnight Express and he's going to get Cornette and and Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry and Big Bubba too and like it's just it was so good. It's it was perfect in every way that a promo could be perfect, and it and he still he said it in his own words. He sounded like Jimmy Garvin. He didn't sound like you anybody else. He didn't you know what I mean. He still sounded like himself. Perfect, perfect promo.
1: And the one and the one thing I will say for the way that it was shot because sometimes we don't we don't capture these things, but the way that it was shot, the camera only took his his head it was like from the crown of his head to like maybe just below his, you know, uh, just below his neck. So you're looking at his eyes and, mm-hmm. and you think of Jimmy Garvin, <laughs> you know, he has, he has the the jacket, he's got the big hair, he's got all this stuff, but they focus on his eyes. And when I'm watching this promo, I'm looking at Jimmy Garvin's eyes, not necessarily what he's saying, but I'm seeing the emotion in his eyes and I can see his eyes are welling up. And I, and, and there's a part of me that says like, he didn't have to yell. He didn't have to scream. It almost, it almost sounded like it, it almost sounded like he was, he was, he's trying to compose, keep himself composed while he's talking about what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. But when you look in his eyes, you can tell the pain, you can tell the anger, and then you can even see, you know, the regret to say that, Hey, for all the bad things that I've done, I'm the one who should be there. Cause Ronnie always plays by the rules and I'm the one that should be, you know, in that situation. So all of those things were perfect. And then from there, and, and the fact that I don't know if this promo was done. I'm presuming it was done after, you know, he went and attacked Cornette. I can understand that visceral anger that he would have to where he would want to say those things and say, Hey, I'm coming to get all of y'all. Mm-hmm. And you know, whether, whether Ronnie's with me or not, cause I don't even know if he might be able to return, but if he doesn't return, I'm going to get my revenge uh, for him. And I'm, I'm going to make sure that I get my, my pound of flesh off of each and every one of you. It's like, You know, it it was perfect. It's a it's it's a perfect way to transition Jimmy
0: Garvin from heel to babyface. Cinema, as the kids like to say today. Yeah, baby, cinema, baby, cinema, major motion pictures and television shows, baby. We're gonna be we're gonna
1: be doing major motion pictures and sitcoms, baby. If you will, (laughs) if you will,
0: love you, Dusty. (laughs) All right, so we go to break. We come back. We get uh, Ivan, uh, and Vlad, and Murdoch. Yeah, Ivan Koloff, Vladimir Pietroff, and Dick Murdoch versus uh, Isley Angel, and I don't, I didn't catch the other guy's name. Sullivan, last name Sullivan. Sullivan. Okay, uh, Murdoch destroys the podium with Isley's head. I thought that was that was very unplanned. <laughs> But, yeah, but, that's the, Dick but, that, but 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 that's very on brand for Dick Murdoch, man. I mean, that is Dick Murdoch <laughs> to a T. I'm just gonna destroy everything. Great healing in this match. Dick Murdoch is such a good heel. Like, it's just it's preposterous. Like I'm I'm glad he switched heel because he was kind of boring as a baby face. <clears throat>
2: yeah um,
0: I, I
1: mean yeah because <laughs> the thing is you know when you're when you're in a babyface tag team with dusty Rhodes, i mean no matter how well, they were how a heel
0: tag t- team yes they were
1: when they started when they started yeah but when they started, know, when, yeah. But when then they they started yes face, yeah but then they went babyface, and the thing is with dusty he, he's so beloved and i think that dusty it, it's like he's the perfect baby face in terms of the fans wanting to be with him it almost seems like you know, Dick Murdoch has to be the heel because that's kind of his role in this equation that, mm. that that's it. that's his natural
0: role. Um, so let's see uh, good healing. The crowd was hot, 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 hot during this match cheered. for oh, Dusty, yeah. Boo in the heels. Um, the sickle. And we by, want, oh, we want dusty. We, we want we, dusty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the sickle by Pietroff was really good looking. That was Brutal. That was the one where the guy got dropped on his head. I'm My sorry. God. That was the one where he hit the guy and the guy over rotated and fucking yep. or under rotated actually and landed probably on his head and neck. Um, didn't they beat up the beat the guy up a little bit afterwards? I can't remember. Um, yeah, I, I mean, and then. We get a pro. We get a great promo from Ivan. Of course, Ivan Koloff, one of the best promos in the business. I still say he's the best, probably the best gimmick heel ever. Like the best foreign menace. One of the best foreign menace heels. He's up there with, uh, with with our guy uh, uh, Iron Sheik.
1: Oh, Sheiky baby, Sheiky, sheiky baby, baby. I, I listen, I mean, I, lo- I look at Ivan Koloff, and the 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 thing is with Ivan Koloff is that he looks so. Ivan Kolov comes across as really menacing, but when you look at him, he's he's a lot smaller than what you think. his His presence seems like he's much mm-hmm. physically larger. But when you look at him, he's probably five ten and maybe you know two twenty ish. you know, not a small guy by any stretch. But when you take a look at uh, Pietro, I mean, that dude was just just brolic looking. And I just thought to myself, looking at the time frame, I'm not sure when Darso moved from the NWA to the WWF to be uh one of demolition.
0: Yeah, he's he had already
1: moved. All right. Because I I know that Darso had gotten injured where he he had a knee injury, but I don't know what year that was. It was so in, I don't know.
0: Uh, he got injured in late in mid 86, I think. Okay. Yeah, cuz Crusher Khrushchev disappeared for a while and it was just Ivan. Well, it was Ivan and, and Nikita, Nikita right? and then uh, Baron von Raschke joined them for a little while for to, for their three man team, and then Raschke turned babyface. Nikita turned babyface, and Ivan brought in Vladimir because Khrushchev had already left to become to join Demolition.
1: To join Demolition, all right. Because I know that when I saw uh, Pietro, I thought to myself, I'm like, man, he looks he looks just like Nikita. Obviously, obviously, he's probably bigger than Nikita, you know, taller and, and everything. But he was really impressive looking, and and clearly, when I saw this match, I was like, all right, Ivan Ivan Koloff is leading the quote unquote wrestling, you know, heel technical wrestling part of this. Mm-hmm. Murdoch's just getting all the heel heat, and Pietro's there to do all the muscle stuff. And I thought I thought that the match was really good in terms of. um Giving explanation or at least allowing Dick Murdoch to have television time to uh, explain why, you know, and then obviously in this promo, but to explain why he joined uh, you know, the Russians. Mm. Um, it gave Piet you know Pietrov a chance to be on, on television to just kind of, you know, I don't know if he if he call it being introduced, but just kind of give him you know, well, give him was, a win on tele
0: Pietrov came in right after well, very soon after Nikita turned babyface. Because he was the the other Russian that Nikita had supposedly trained with when he was in Russia, and they'd known each other since they were kids. But Pietrov was always a little bit more vicious, always a little bit more, uh, I don't know, bad. I guess you know. I don't know how to put put it any better. You know. And uh, so Ivan's going to bring Pietrov in as justice for what Nikita did to Russia and to Ivan personally as his nephew. You know, uh, actually, if you go back and watch the the right after Nikita turned babyface, the promos that Ivan Koloff deliver are fantastic because they're almost heartbreaking because he's talking about how could you do this to our country, How could you do this to me, to our family? You know what I mean? Like he's garnering sympathy. But at the same time, he's like, so I'm going to absolutely destroy you for doing this, you know, and immediately starts getting the heat back. And then he brings in Pietrov, who is green as goose shit when he first shows up. <laughs> I mean, he's fucking like there's he he can barely do a body slam, but he's with Ivan. He's traveling with Ivan. <clears throat> so he keeps getting he progressively keeps getting better. Um, he doesn't have to do a lot with that physique and that look and teamed up with Ivan. You don't really have to do much, but just kind of stand there and, uh, and be big. And, you know, like I said, you throw a good clothesline, do a good, uh, do a good body slam. And, you know, that's really about all you need to do.
2: Yep.
1: Uh, that's definitely true. No, Pietro was very impressive to look at. Um, But obviously I look at Ivan Koloff and Dick Murdoch and I was like, this is that does the talent in the ring
0: yeah um but yeah so dick murdoch of course this gave him a chance to because this is the first time he's wrestled heel on television i think since he made the the change he had just turned last week he had you know he came out and he kind of he went over again he goes over here a little bit more you know you know dusty decided that nikita should be his partner even though that Murdoch and Dusty had been the greatest tag team in the world for seven years, blah, blah, blah. But this was a whole different animal here because last week he was kind of very matter of fact about it. This was spit drooling down his face, rabid, angry, just ready to rip apart anything that got in his way. And I was like, this is the Dick Murdoch I've been waiting to see since he came back to Jim Crockett, because this is, like this guy's gonna fuck some people's shit up, you know.
2: Yep.
1: And so. and and he and he he started his business real well in that six man match.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's what I love. The first thing he does is just run a guy into the fucking podium.
1: <laughs> but and again, the thing that the thing that would get me about Tony Schiavone is that Tony showed no fear. He just was like, oh well, that's just Dick. and I'm like, no, act afraid. If, yeah. I'm, if i'm if i'm dick murdoch in that situation and i don't get the reaction i want from the commentator i'll grab him by his tie or his lapel or something and just you know rough him up a little bit just and, and get him flustered but oh, that's yeah. the whole idea dude you got you're you're the announcer you're you know you got when when the action is that close to you you need to
0: be if afraid somebody's kicking somebody's ass right in front of you you should react to it in some way
1: yeah like 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 literally there's, there's, I mean, I mean, Dick, Dick Murdoch could probably shake your hand while he's beating that guy up. So you know, stop it. <laughs>
0: like go react, ahead. man. Yeah. So let's see. We get, uh, we come out of that. Go to break. Come back. We get uh, Rick Rude and Raging Bull versus Rick Nelson and Alan Martin. Uh, they jump start the heels. Jump start the match. Uh, it's over in next to no time they get more heat after the match and out come the Rock and Roll Express to make the save, hit the double drop kicks on both of them. Yep. And then Morton comes over and delivers another even more fired up promo.
3: Than he did
0: the first time. Like, I love it. You know, people say there's levels to this shit. Ricky Morton's got like levels of fired up. Like the first one he was fired up, but this one he's just... Nah, nah. He's... he's the first promo, he was only half hot. This one, he was all the way there. Yeah, yeah. That was the lukewarm promo. Like yeah, when exactly. they have a like, when they have a when they have like a, a what is it? A buddy of mine is it was in a tag team for a long time, and he said we call that the when they have like a a hot tag in the middle of the match to kind of you know, and then the guy gets cut off, they'll say that's the lukewarm tag.
3: Mm-hmm. That's right.
1: Yeah, because then it, that then essentially you kind of start the match all over again. Then you get the second hot tag, and then we're going
0: home. Mm-hmm so let's see uh let's see we get uh jj and Oli delivering a promo uh Oli hasn't been here for the past few weeks um lex luger has been the uh the star of the ball as far as the horsemen have been concerned um but Oli's like we started the horsemen the horsemen started with me and gene and arn and rick you know uh and uh, so Luger isn't a horseman, but he's a, 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 an associate. That's Horse- exactly
1: the word. That's exactly the word that I want to be like. The way that they phrased it, that was great.
0: But because uh, they've been saying that for a couple weeks now. But again, Lex is always there. Oh, well, he isn't always there. Like they've been teasing. They're still teasing it, obviously. I mean, we know what's going to happen because I know this storyline. I know who the horsemen are and I know who becomes a horseman and who doesn't. Um, but it's, it's, I I love that. They're like, they're teasing this, that it's going to happen, but they keep saying it's definitely not going to happen. You know what I mean? Like they keep saying, there's no way this is going to happen. This is definitely not going to happen. We're all hundred percent behind. Oli. Oli is our guy yet. Lex just keeps He's he's there and that's all anybody really wants to talk about is how great flex- Lex is. Yeah, Lex
2: the yeah, flex. I
1: mean, I mean, you know, listen, Luger looked like a million bucks. And um I just I just know that at the time, you know, when they kept when they kept saying that Lex Luger's an associate of the horseman, I always that distinction was was done reg- regularly, particularly by Tony Schiavone. He reinforced it a lot. Mm-hmm whenever speaking of the horsemen. So it's something that even for me, like I haven't watched these episodes in forever. So I'm a little fuzzy on some of the details, but in listening to that being reinforced as much as it was, it let me know that although Lex Luger is a heel and he's being elevated at this time by being associated with the horsemen, they're letting you know that he's not a member of the four horsemen just so that, you know, you can, you can tell a distinction. Um, and and obviously this gets paid off later on down the road, but at least in this particular episode, I just saw that. And it was a, it was a huge distinction. And I thought it was a wonderful job in the storytelling in terms of making sure that, you know, that although Lex Luger's tagging with the horsemen and he's hanging around with them, he's not one of, at least not yet.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Cause that was his original thing when he came in, that was his very first promo. He said he wanted to be a fo- one of the horsemen. And then Barry, Barry was the one who was telling him, no, you don't want to be part of them. Look how bad, you know, they're they're awful people. They do awful things. And yeah, it's just, it, 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 it's been a really good program so far. And I'm glad Oli's back because that kind of adds that extra ink in there, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah because now, cause now when you see, you know, Oli, Arn, Tully, Flair, and JJ, you're like, all right, this is the unit. And to see Lex Luger be like, all right, well, he'll be the fifth horseman quote unquote. Like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Who's, who's the odd man out. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of what the associate thing came in. And it's, it's a good distinction because they're, they're letting you know that the horsemen are only four and any, any other accoutrements and any extras are associates, but they're not part of the group.
0: But uh, let's see next we get Tim Horner versus Randy Barber. Um, I'm not a big Tim Horner fan. <laughs> I think for a lot of, for all the, the fancy stuff he does in the ring and his transitions and stuff, I think he's a pretty boring wrestler, to be honest with you. Um, I don't, there's nothing about him that makes me want to cheer him on particularly. Plus there's, he did something really dumb at the very beginning of smoky mountain wrestling. He thought that Jim was going to bring him in, make him the world champion and figure him into the the uh the um the promotion that he was going to get a piece of the smoky mountain and jim was like no and the apparently Horner got really hot when he found out that he wasn't going to be the world champion and wasn't going to be figured in and uh, jim was like why, but, you, why would you think i would make you the world champion like <laughs> listen
1: let's let's put it like this When Jim Cornette had access to Tracy Smothers, and again, God rest his soul, Tracy Smothers was a great talent who could play both heel and babyface, but to the audience over in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, a guy like Tracy Smothers, especially the way that he could cut promos, because if you just watch the wrestling work, you know, the X's and O's inside the ring, Smothers and Horner, you know, they they can be interchangeable in terms of playing the babyface role in the match, the X's and O's, Mm. but everything else in between... Tracy Smothers is running circles around Horner mm-hmm. because again, Horner listen, Horner in the ring is a good wrestler, not a bad wrestler. He can do the X's and O's well. And in this particular match, yeah, it, it it's a it's basically a pseudo squash. And, you know, yes, he sells a little bit, but it's not not a whole heck of a lot. It was really Tim Horner displaying what he can do. Now, is anybody gonna go crazy with a guy like Horner? No. I certainly wouldn't. And and I think that that's just something that it it doesn't it doesn't really uh, get me one way or the other. I I'm with you. I'm not a big Tim Horner guy either, and it's not because um, of anything that he does in ring. It's just a matter that I don't believe him in any way, shape, or form as somebody who I'd want to cheer for.
2: Yep,
0: that makes that makes sense. So Tim Horner wins. Um, then we get a. Uh, um, give me just a second, will you?
2: Sure.
0: Sorry about that out there in podcast land. I had to go get a second beer. I drank my beer, I drank my water, now I have to have more beer. Waiting for Lou to uh to get done doing what he's doing. Yeah, man, we could we yeah, we
1: could certainly tra- yeah. we could certainly transition here. I'm
0: just <laughs> you you rearranging what? your furniture or something? You got yeah, some pictures back a, there?
1: It, no, it's just a matter of just trying to you know get a couple of things you're connected just to get something oh. off my screen here. Oh, I got you. That's all. There we go. Now we're back on.
0: So we got yeah. um we got a Nikita and Dusty promo. Um I this is one of the best Nikita promos I've heard in a long time. I love him talking about uh you may care about Texas, but Texas no care about you, Dick Murdoch. Like it's the <laughs> fucking great, man. Um I love the thing about Nikita that I love is his utter commitment to the Russian character. Like Boy. the way he speaks, like bro- he purposely speaks broken English to make it sound like English is his second language. Like that's just God damn. That is full on. Well, I mean, he even like had a subscription to the daily worker like, the you know like the communist newsletter so that people would legitimately (laughs) think that he was russian and his he got it mailed to his apartment you know uh he told a great story once about he was at a uh, uh he was at a convenience store and the guy there at the convenience store was russian and started trying to speak russian to him and he was like, Oh shit, what do I do? And then he was like, No, I speak English now. I'm in America. I speak English. I have to speak English.
2: <laughs> he got out he
0: got out of that one pretty yeah. good. He was like, and he like berated the guy for trying to speak Russian to him and like you know. <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. I was like, man, way to think on your feet, dude. Boy, you ain't lying. Um Cause that that could have gotten
1: ugly for him real quick.
0: Yeah, that would have been real breaking kayfabe if like the guy's like speaking Russian to him and he doesn't know what the fuck the guy's saying. Um, and Nikita talks about how he's got a surprise for Ivan, which I'm curious about what that's going to be. It's got to be something, somebody from Ivan's past that's going to be coming back and helping Nikita and Dusty. Um, Dusty hits a lot of buzzwords. <laughs> I don't know how to put it any better than that. He just says a lot of stuff. Some of it goes together, some of it really doesn't. Uh, uh, but I love the the pain, blues, and agony. <laughs> I love that part of it. So yeah, but it, you know, it's it's typical Dusty Dusty promo. Nikita promos, good good babyface promos. Got me uh, got me excited for their match. I want to see Dusty and Murdoch now.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and the thing about it is, too, is that, you know, this, this was, it when you think, and again, this goes back to what I spoke earlier about Dusty Rhodes when comparing him to, Bullet you know, Bullet Bob Armstrong. A guy like Dusty Rhodes can go out and cut a promo, and he doesn't necessarily have to make a whole lot of sense. I think another guy who I would think in that same vein at the time would have been like a Thunderbolt Patterson, mm-hmm. where, you know, he can, he can say a whole lot of stuff. And if you really think, it's like, man, Thunderbolt, you spoke for forty-five seconds, and I cannot make out a single thing you just said. But it sounded interesting, <laughs> and it sounded, it, it, it sounded good. It sounded good. Like, don't ask me what you were talking about. I might be a little fuzzy on it, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. It, you know, Dusty's kind of the same way. Like, the difference is with Dusty is that he can he can draw the emotion from the audience. And since the audience knows uh, more or less what he's talking about in terms of his issue now with Dick Murdoch. And, you know, obviously still having issues with, uh, you know, Ivan Koloff and with, you know, Petrov. And, you know, if, you know, if they're talking about, you know, the the Crockett Cup, which I'm not sure if they spoke about that, but, you know, if they did, it's like, again, Dusty can just kind of hit all those points. And, And again, Nikita, Nikita, he was, he was a great gimmick and he didn't have to, the less he spoke, the better. Mm-hmm. Because you know he's a guy that if he spoke too much, it almost seems like after you know you might get two you know two or three sentences out of him. Once you get that, you got to cut him off. Not because he couldn't necessarily speak or keep your interest. It's just a matter that the longer he speaks, he actually begins to expose himself more and more for the stuff that he doesn't
0: do well. Well, he, he in his promos he would circle back around to shit too many times. I yep. noticed that, like he would end up saying the same thing two or three times. If you don't give him, like, no, just just ten seconds, Nikita. All I need is ten seconds. Hit, you know, ten twenty seconds. Hit this point and this point, and that's it. That's all you I need out. from you. Yeah, you get, get out, get that. out. Let Dusty finish the promo. You know, no one's no one's gonna like. You don't need to feel bad that Dusty's a better talker than you are, Nikita, because. Dusty's a better talker than pretty much everybody. Yeah, there's
1: o- there's only but there's only probably but a, sh- a small handful of guys that might be able to compete with Dusty in that arena.
0: And one of feel- them one of them wasn't there this week being Rick Flair.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I was like for for Nikita I'm like brother don't feel bad. <laughs> Please yeah. don't feel bad.
0: But and that's one of the things. I'm sad Rick wasn't there this week cuz Rick is the best at putting everybody over, putting the company over like I can't count, I can't remember, but it's, you know, every, pretty much every other week he's talking about guys in the company that he doesn't like, but he respects, you know, like Dusty Rhodes, Barry Windham. They're the greatest athletes in the world. and They're here at Jim Crockett promotions. They're in the NWA. You know what I mean? Like he puts everybody over, but, but then you he's know what? Like, but I'm the best, you know what yeah, I mean? But- but so. it
1: behooves him but it behooves him to do so because obviously you you don't want to uh basically talk down your baby faces because when they get you in the ring and they're working 60 minute broadways with you you know then the audience is going to care less and if you're talking smack and those guys are taking you to the limit every time you know then eventually the the heat's going to fall on you to say hey well I thought you were the greatest wrestler in the world and these guys stink yeah. You know, the fact that he's putting them over, it basically is letting the audience know that, hey, every time Ric Flair wrestles Barry Windham or Sting, oh, not Sting at this time, but Dusty Rhodes or, you know, anybody in that vein, that it's going to be a long night. You're going to get a great match. And, you know, I'm still better than them because I'm the nature boy. Woo! And all that. And I'm, and all still that good the, I'm
0: still the champion. I'm still yeah. one of the four horsemen, you know. Well, yeah. All that all that jazz. And then I got the girls play. and the money and the you know And I got
1: the gold. And I yeah. got the gold.
0: The most important thing. I got
1: the gold. And and that's always and, and that's always gonna draw draw heat. Um i was and again, you know, when you say that Flair wasn't there, I noticed that too because I said, Well, they had a whole segment with the four horsemen, and when the horsemen had their match, I was actually expecting Flair to be there. And then I thought as as I started watching the show, I said, Well if flair was going to wrestle then flair would have already come out at least once to cut a promo and the fact that i haven't seen him that are that already kind of uh well you know, yeah they
0: only only mentioned that he wasn't there <clears throat> he had a, ah, okay. he had some sort of appearance or something he was doing that day probably i mean lord knows what it could have been you know well, I, I would imagine it could else, have been yeah. it could have been a car dealership opening it could have been anything you know Frick. Anything that Jim Crockett wanted Ric Flair to do, Ric Flair would do because Crockett was paying him. Well, Ooh. Crockett was paying him a ton of money because he was bringing in a ton of money in houses, you know.
1: Well, I mean, for, for, for that uh, period of time and, and for the NWA as a whole at that moment, they hadn't, I mean, with all due Ric Flair is at that time a fantastic in-ring worker. And, you know, in the world of in-ring workers, Ric Flair was probably the best, but it was also the fact that he had the charisma, the personality, and even though he was the heel, and he loved being the heel, the audience loved him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the thing about it was that even though they would still boo him because he knew how to get the heat on the baby faces to get the audience to turn on him, but the audience always had like this wink-wink, love-hate relationship there was- with... You know, with Ric Flair and the Horsemen, they always had that kind of wink, wink, you know, type relationship. Yeah.
0: Well, I don't know if we had that as much with Tully Blanchard. I think Tully's the one who def- everybody <laughs> pretty much just hated. <laughs>
1: well, be, well, maybe. And even the bad. Horsemen,
0: will, even the Horsemen will say that about Tully. So, not not a, not exactly their favorite member, huh? No. Well, I mean, Tully was just a surly son of a bitch. I guess. Oh, not as surly as Oli, mind you, but I don't think anybody on the face of the earth has been as surly and bitter as Oli Anderson. Uh, yeah, I've heard. I've heard stories. But I've heard the stories. Tully's. tolly's A. I mean, he's a nice guy, but he's kind of an ass. I don't know if he. He doesn't mean to be. He just kind of is. You know. He comes. I mean, he comes for money in Texas. If if you you know what I mean, like that's just kind of who he is so yeah and
1: and i mean obviously you know you know being the you know the son of a promoter you know joe blanchard Mm -hmm. and 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 the thing about it is you know you stay what you want to about tully blanchard but tully blanchard was a is a very very talented wrestler and at that time was one of the best it was just being 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 in a group with rick flair there was no way that he was gonna be the top the top heel because when you're always gonna be overshadowed by Flair but Tully Blanchard was great in his role
0: Tully was one of is still one of my favorite heels I think it, and people talk about studying heels uh, uh, to get heat and I think Tully his promos and his work in ring is something that if you're gonna be a heel a better than you especially if you're gonna be an I'm better than you heel, study Tully Blanchard copy everything he does because that son of a bitch bad people hated him and he got so much heat. He could get heat and everything. He could get heat for throwing a legal punch because you just, you just know there's something illegal about it. You're just like, you're, you're just cheating somehow. I... Dirty, rotten, you know, bastard. You know, you, but that's how that's how he got his heat is just by de- being, you know, just a no good, dirty backs, not backstabbing, but cheating son of a bitch. And yeah, you know, I mean... with a little bit of a little bit of cowardice, and a you know a little bit of uh, a but but also that like undes- almost undeserved arrogance. Like he's, he just, he had everything you need. He was like the perfect heat magnet. Um, Yep.
1: I mean, for, for me, when I think of, when when I think of guys who I wanted, I would study if I was to be a wrestler and I wanted to be a heel, there would be certain people that I would study for different reasons. mm -hmm. I would study flair. I would study, study Tully Blanchard. I would study Jerry Lawler, uh, Bobby Heenan, uh mm-hmm. Jim Jim Cornette um Den- Dennis Condry specifically Dennis Condry Bobby Eaton was a fantastic worker but the the thing about Dennis Condry is his psychology was you could tell that he was not about trying to get himself or the team over mm-hmm. or even his opponents over he was trying to get the match over
2: mm-hmm.
1: you get the match over everybody gets over mm-hmm. and it's and it's a it, it's a real you know psychological thing and the reason why i would want to study those guys it's all because you know they they understood and i mean bobby heenan is is another one for, for different reasons but it's you want you want to be able to understand the psychology of like how can i get the most for the least meaning how am i able to get the audience to hate me so much that i don't i don't have to put my body at risk I can I can do very simple things that don't hurt me, don't hurt my Jake, opponent.
0: Jake Roberts is another guy put in that category because he Jake Roberts. He yeah. could work a match, take one bump, be the heel, and people would hate him. And he didn't yep. have to do he didn't have to do hardly anything.
1: No, and I and I mean, you know, even though to a lesser degree, because I think that, you know, the gimmick and everything people might laugh at, but you think of the honky tonk man, he was he kinda had a similar Mm-hmm. similar thing. I mean, I don't necessarily know if I would put him in that same place, but there's, there's similarities there. And you know, there, there's just, there, there are others as well, but I would think of those guys specifically because I I want, if I were to be a heel, I don't necessarily want to be a heel that has to do a whole lot of physical things
2: mm-hmm. to,
1: to get myself over. I want, when I have to do something physical, I want it to mean something. I want it to count. When the baby face beats me up when it comes time for the baby face to kick my ass i'm gonna bump for him like a rubber ball but i don't want to have to do that all the time yeah there will there will be a time when it's like all right all right it's 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 time to get your receipt but before then it's a matter like how do i make this work to where people hate me and all i'm doing is just running my mouth or doing little psychological things in the match to just drive the audience crazy that's really what you're looking at, and that's and that's the reason why, like, you know, obviously, you know, I think of MJF as the heel MJF, not this current MJF. Now, I don't, I don't like this current version of MJF, but when he was a heel, MJF he, made
0: me quit caring about MJF. <laughs>
1: yeah, unfortunately, and, that, and that, that's a sidebar. We could get to that another time. But, yeah. <laughs> but when, but when Max was at his best as a heel, he embodied a lot of those, a lot of those people. He took little pieces of all of them. And he was just fantastic, and he was always able to get the most for the least, you know. And that's and that's something that, you know, I just I just wish that more guys could do that because, again, they're super athletic; they could take all the bumps. But if you learn the psychology, and you and you know how to get into people's heads, you can control the audience and not have to not have to put yourself out there as much to get the same reaction.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I I I completely agree, but healing healing in itself is a lost art. Just doing cheap shit behind a referee's back is something that nobody does. And it's like, that's, that's like the number one thing you need to be doing. Every cheat, every time, every time you get a chance, even if you don't really need to cheat, even if it's a squash match, heels will still cheat or, and this is something I noticed a while ago that they do in, 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 in WCW, the heels will extend the match, make the match longer if it's a squash match. Whereas the baby faces tend to get in, get their stuff in and get out. You know, it's not always this isn't always the case, you know, but for the most part the heels because the heels want to hurt the guy, they're mean and they wanna, you know, torture the guy, and they want to show how good they are, so they'll pull him up from a pin or they'll say, No, you I'm you not gonna it. pin him yet. You know, in the tag team, they'll throw the guy that they just beat up for five minutes into the corner to tag his partner in so they can beat the other guy up. You know, like, because they yep. do that. You know, that's just, that's what they do. They're heels. They're mean. They're nasty. They're not.
1: They're not threatened they're by the opposition. They're supposed
0: to be cool. You know what I mean? That's the one thing. Everybody wants to be a cool heel. This is um, when you were talking about doing less, I realized I had this realization with Roman Reigns about a month ago. The re I hate Roman Reigns matches, I'm supposed to hate Roman Reigns matches because he does a move. Then he walks around and gloats for two minutes. Then he does another move and he walks around and gloats. And I'm like, Oh, this sucks. This is like, what are you doing? Like, let's have a match. And I'm like, and then I'm like, he's got you, Bob. Like he's, he's got you. Like you're you're not supposed to like this. That's that's exactly what this is the the reaction you're having is the exact reaction that he wants you to have, and I was like, God, the motherfucker's a goddamn genius. Like somebody, Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman's probably the one who's like who taught him how to wrestle like that. I would I would imagine because Heyman Heyman knows how how people how to heal.
1: Well yeah, and I and, and the one thing about it is when you take a look at, you know, you know, Roman Reigns and the way he specifically works. I mean, Roman Reigns is, you know, I'm not even sure what generation he might be, third generation, fourth generation, uh in the Samoan third. Third Things
0: generation. Third, yeah.
1: Third generation. So you take you take a look at, you know, all all the guys in his family, those, you know, that that have been in the wrestling business and all the lessons that he's learned, he grew up around it. And the thing about roman reigns is that he he figured out in the beginning that he looked in the mirror and realized that he's a good-looking dude and he knows that in, in in today's modern wrestling looks looks count for a lot and he was able to get himself over you know based on his look to start and he was always a good worker he was not a bad worker it's just a matter that he needed to discover you know like every like everybody you have to discover your unique voice you know, the the voice that is yours, that it, that belongs to you.
0: The thing that makes you interesting, that makes people want to see you.
1: Correct. I mean, it's, it's like the same thing, you know, I utilize Becky Lynch as an example when Becky Lynch, she, you could tell that Becky Lynch always had the, the fire and the passion for it. But when she was going out on NXT, doing the river dance, that's not interesting versus when she basically called herself the man and started cutting promos to where she was, even as a babyface, she sounded heelish. It's like the audience started to get with her, not because, oh, she sounds cool. It's because it's Rebecca Quinn's real voice coming out, and she knew how to take the real the real person, turn it into, into Becky Lynch's promo, and then go out there and deliver it in such a way that she's getting all her points across. The audience is with her for the most part and they believe what she's saying and they and they want to cheer her for it.
0: Oh yeah. Well, I mean, and, people have been I mean when she was even when she was doing the Becky Balboa, people wanted to cheer Becky Lynch. They I don't think that she really saw it in herself until she finally found this man character, this kind of almost fed up, tired of people's bullshit. You know what I mean? Almost like a, a she is, she's she's like a female Stone Cold almost, where she's just like, Correct. I'm going to do what I want when I want, and you're just going to have to deal with it. I'm going to yeah, I'm going to take the NXT Championship and I'm going to defend it against everybody I want to defend it against. Make it fucking prestigious. Put it on, have it defended on Raw, you know, and then I'm going to drop it to somebody that I believe is a next generation superstar. <laughs> and,
3: And that's exactly what she did
0: in this this run. It is. It's one of the best NXT women's runs we've seen in a while for the NXT Women's Championship because it put a lot of eyes on NXT, too, which, you know, 794,000 is pretty good for your C show, your developmental show. And now they're going to be on broadcast television. I mean, granted, it's the CW. It's not one of the major networks, but it's still it's still a network that I could pick up with a set of rabbit ears. That's correct. You know, and and that's a big deal.
1: And the thing about it is too, is that the, you know, the demo that, you know, the the core audience that WWE shooting for with NXT probably lines up a little better with CW's core audience. And the one, and the one thing is that at the end of the day, WWE wins financially because if, if the reports are correct that they're making some in the neighborhood of Thirty-ish million dollars a year for NXT. That's a big bump from what they're currently making on the USA Network, which I believe it's somewhere around fifteen million a year. So that's a huge bump for WWE in terms of the rights fees. And for CW, they don't lose because realistically, wrestling fans, wrestling fans are a different type of audience. It's like a silo. You know, Mm -hmm. WWE fans are going to follow the WWE product wherever it goes. So you know you know, like, let's say, for example, when SmackDown aired on UPN all those years ago, UPN was basically like a, like a souped up version of, of independent, you know, uh, television, Mm -hmm. television station. And, and SmackDown still had, you know, several million viewers on UPN, where there's not a single program they had on their network that even came close to sniffing that number. So it's going to be the same thing with CW. It's, you know, and, and the thing is with the CW, obviously, whatever night NXT, you know, airs on, it's going to be the best number that CW is going to get. It's going to be a matter of whether or not the CW can become, and I use quote-unquote here, competitive with the other broadcast networks on whatever night NXT airs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that means if you got the six broadcast networks, let's just say if they end up on, you know, let's just call it they end up fourth, for lack of a better term. That's being competitive, considering that probably any other night of the week, they're, they're last. Yeah. So that's 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 really what you're talking about here, and it and it's going to give a tremendous uh, boost to the NXT talent to be on broadcast television. That you can say now, hey, you can have a set of rabbit ears and, and get it, you know. And, and again, you can when you're on the, it, sure. And and the thing is, if you're on the USA Network right now, I mean, they've been on the USA Network now for the last four years. So and and you know, you got 90, 90 plus percent of the country that has cable, so it's really a very small audience that wouldn't get NXT anyway. But um, but definitely it's it's been a big boost, and I mean I think that what what Becky Lynch did for NXT in this uh, last run that she was on, it was it was what they tried to do with Charlotte Flair. The only mm-hmm. difference was is that when Charlotte did it, two things were going against NXT at the time. One is that Charlotte Flair was too big of a star at the time to be on the NXT brand, and with all due respect, the NXT brand didn't have they didn't have a plethora of talent to put in there, believably, with Charlotte mm-hmm. versus with Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch is still a huge star, but the way that Becky Lynch works, it she she works a more believable type of match to where she's not overpowering anybody. Because Becky Lynch, although she's a great talent, she's average size. She's probably about five four, five, five, you know, 125 mm-hmm. pounds. Versus Charlotte being five ten and you know, whatever one sixty, it's it's a little more difficult to get, you know, the more undersized girls to compete versus with becky lynch yeah she and you can work with everybody and make them all becky
0: has a more basic style too where if she her style transitions better to just about anybody whereas i think charlotte charlotte is good but she works a sp- pretty specific to her style if that makes sense she can't there's some stuff she she's not very good at doing
1: yeah, I I think that if I was to use a Becky Lynch, I think that she has a more universal style. Like yeah. you know, you know, like you know, she has a Becky has a more universal style that that kind of fits a little more uh, like a glove with a vast variety of talents versus Charlotte's a little different. You're right about that. Like with Charlotte, it has to be very specific, and unfortunately for the opposition, the opposition has to work themselves to a point where they're viewed as an equal to charlotte versus with becky lynch you don't necessarily have to be her equal you can kind of earn your stripes in the ring with her in that mm-hmm.
0: moment no and in in, in in all due respect to charlotte becky is a lot more likable than charlotte is probably you know probably um uh, i just uh, charlotte comes off as well as what she is she's a spoiled rich girl you know she's rick flair's daughter and i don't mean spoiled in that she's been handed things in the business she's earned everything she's gotten in the business but she grew up with money and she kind of has a uh I, I don't know how to put it like a uh, uh i don't want to say attitude because that's not right she she carries herself in a certain there's way a, yeah there's that an aura makes about her that it's great for her to be a heel. I think she's a natural heel, but as far as a baby face, it's hard to want to really like her and get behind her as a baby face because as whereas with Becky, you're immediately because she seems so natural and, and she's,
1: know. she's the, she's the every person Becky yes. Lynch comes yes. across as the every person. And I mean, it's a, you know, it's the same criticism of Charlotte that I've had about Rhea Ripley whenever they tried to present her as a baby face. And, and, you know, Raquel Rodriguez and, and people of that ilk and what I, and that's basically based on their size, mm-hmm. like, you know, with somebody like Charlotte Flair. And again, one of the, one of the traits of a babyface is, is that you have to believe them with their when they're, you know, there has to be some level of vulnerability. Yeah. You know, the, and the thing is, with somebody like Charlotte Flair or Rhea Ripley, it's very difficult to believe them being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's kind of where the the likability thing isn't around because you you haven't really seen to be vulnerable and there's a part of you that doesn't believe that they ever could be.
0: Yeah. I can I can see that. Speaking of not being vulnerable and speaking of not natural baby faces, next we have J.J. Dylan and Lex Luger promo.. Woo. <laughs> Back in 1987, uh, that was kind of that was kind of a hard fit <laughs> uh, lots of uh we got lots of talk about Olie Anderson lots of talk about unity within the horsemen uh, Lex talks about stealing a glimpse of the future which I thought was good and he talks I think this is the first time he said or the second time he said total package since he's been in uh, in uh, wCW. Well, okay. so we got a little momentous there because of course he was known as the total package. I still call him the total package. That has always been his nickname yep. for me. No matter where he goes, he's the total package. Yeah, or as whenever, Dust, whenever it... Dusty called him when they were feuding, the tuna package. Yeah,
1: when, <laughs> when anybody talks to me about Lex Luger, I'm like, yep, yeah, the package. Yeah, yeah the package. Yeah, the package, Lex
0: Luger. Yeah, of course. But I think but this that, that's what I would say is Lex has that kind of same thing that Charlotte does where they're not natural baby faces to an everyday audience. Yeah, because they kind of don't a, yeah, yeah, yeah they're
1: aloof they're yeah. just kind of aloof you're mm-hmm. not they're they're not they're not the warmest people in the world that's really the way it comes across like
0: but of course JJ is fantastic and then we get um big Bubba versus somebody I don't know who it was I didn't catch their name and it lasted for two seconds because we got we got the big Bubba slam also known as the boss man slam that's right which is a beautiful beautiful move and that and that puts absolutely
1: you know I mean listen Ray trailer at the time was probably I'd have to say it was probably about 400 pounds at the time mm-hmm. still could move around like a cat, but the thing is when he picks you up and slams you I mean yeah the opponent feels it but bubba don't feel it you know in terms of <laughs> it, it, ain't, it ain't bugging his knees or his back or anything nope. like that it, you execute it properly every time and you know it might be general wear and tear, but you ain't you ain't gonna you ain't gonna be dealing with any big major problems with that finish.
0: So, um, then we get, after the bubble slam, we get, uh, uh, the midnight come over to the podium and Dennis Conjury tries to, is trying to cut a promo, uh, Cornette's been suspended. Uh, this is, okay. This is there a couple of things I, going on here. I want to talk about one, uh, Jim Crockett comes out and this is, I feel how all wrestling companies should present themselves To the audience as the fair-minded, non-biased lawmakers, rule-givers of the company. I've I've never liked heel owners. I get the whole McMahon, Mr. McMahon thing, and that worked with Stone Cold, Steve Austin. So I'm not saying that it can't work. I'm saying to the audience, the wrestling company itself should be neutral slash babyface yep, because that way they can come in and they can write a wrong if absolutely need be. They can lay down the law on the bad guys, but only if necessary. I think that that's you know that's exactly what Jim Crockett does here. He says that he's suspended. He says you're gonna pay a fine of a thousand dollars a day for the uh, um for the belts that you you stole from the champions. You know, I want him back in my office. And so there's there's that, which I thought was fantastic. The other thing is Dennis Conjury. <laughs> he's so good here. And I love it when he's like, we can't help it that a cosmic fireball hit Ronnie in the face. A cosmic
3: fireball.
0: He'll heal to the end, man. Like, you literally see oh, Jim cosmic. Cornette with the wad of paper throw the fireball. It's on just... film, dude. <laughs> and he's like, it was a cosmic fireball. It came out of nowhere. We couldn't help it. There's nothing we oh. can do about it. You can't hold us responsible for cosmic this fireballs. Is, this, is, this, was not, uh, this was not a heel like. This was an act of God, friend.
3: <laughs> <When you can't... laughs> so,
1: oh, my gosh. Oh, so you yeah I mean, was... you see that see stuff like that is just that's just brilliant that is country
0: of cosmic that's Bobby heenan level uh, uh uh um obliviousness I guess is the best way I oh, could man, put man. it like just completely
2: yeah exactly <a> that
0: <laughs> was a cosmic fireball I don't know what you're talking about nobody threw anything oh my gosh no, J- Jimmy just happened to be in the ring at the time. You we know? don't know where that came from. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, there God. Go. Great. That is so great. The cosmic fireball. Um, so, let's see after that. Uh, we get the Ronnie Garvin VTR. Talks about how he's still the hands of stone. Um, talks about how he can wrestle with one eye really good, you know, like matter of fact, very Ronnie Garvin, Ronnie Garvin isn't usually a, I mean, he gets fired up, but he's usually pretty calm and, you know, even, even spoken, even here, you know, when he has every reason to be yelling and screaming and all of that, he's, he's very to the point, very calm, like almost reassuring the audience that, Yes, I will get revenge. I will get back at these guys. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah, because
1: I I think that definitely uh, maintaining a certain level, even keel.
3: Poise. Poise, Poise.
1: that's the correct word, poise. Maintaining his poise and his composure in that moment is actually a little scarier if you're the heel. Because Mm -hmm. you can understand like if if the baby face is, is all emotional and out there, you can use it against them, but when, when the baby face sounds that focused and they, they understand the entire uh, panoramic view of the situation and they're still able to articulate, this is what I'm going to do. This, you know, Yes, I recognize that I only have one eye, one good eye at the moment, but I'm going to come back. I'm going to get my revenge. And he says it in a way that if you're the heel, and you know, I'm not saying you should be scared, but you should be very concerned because if this guy comes back, it ain't going to be pretty.
0: You need to wear your brown pants.
1: Yeah, that, that is correct. You better make sure you're wearing black pants on that day, you got, man. Cause... You
0: guys pissing your pants yet? Uh huh. <laughs> it's
1: going to get ugly,
0: brother. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, it's really good. And I got to give a shout out. The makeup for the Burns was fantastic. That was really, really well done. Yes. Makeup yes. for the camera. That's actually what Burns look like. It's, you know, basically almost like a, uh, Almost like a rug burn, like just you know. Yeah, like... it's,
1: yeah. It's a discoloration of the skin and all mm-hmm. that jazz. Yeah, absolutely. And and I know. And another before we go on, I just wanted to make mention because we were talking about the Horsemen promos with J.J. Dylan. I thought one one part that I thought was very unique is the fact that all the promos that the Horsemen cut during this show were at individuals and they were never together when they did a promo. Yep. Which I thought, which I thought was actually kind of unique, considering that if they're if they're a group and they're cutting individual promos. It kind of lends that there's something not exactly not exactly right, even if it's not, even if it's not apparent. But you figure that a group as tight knit as the Horsemen, when they're gonna cut crumbles, they'll do it on their own,
2: mm-hmm.
1: or do it together. I should say.
0: Let's see. Then we get uh, the Midnight versus uh, Zane Smith and Randy mulkey and other super. This one, this squash was so fast, I couldn't even write down what happened because it was over by the time I wrote Randy mulkey so that, but that, but that's
1: the thing. When I was telling you about how many matches were on this show, I mean, you know, if that show was on TBS, let's just call it two hours, two and a half hours, they probably had about eight or ten matches on the card. Mm-hmm. And you know, for the NWA being, uh, for particularly their TV being very heavy on promos, and and the and the VTR, which was two segments, and I'm presuming it had to be at least somewhere in the neighborhood of 10-15 minutes altogether. You know, figuring you have all these matches put in. It, it, it's really, it's really surprising to see all of these matches happening. Where probably in a in a wrestling card today, you might have all those promos, but you might not have all these matches.
2: Mm-hmm. Well,
0: the today the promos would be longer because it, especially with WWE, they want you to just talk and talk, talk, talk and talk. talk and talk. Yep. Um, the matches. There wouldn't be as many matches. You're right. And there's, here's, this is one of the things I I, I wanted to talk about. Well, we talk, I talk about this a lot, but I always got to get into it. There's a one, this, this show moves. You know what I mean? They go from one thing to another to another. There's no real slow, the slowest point you get is if there's a match like the Tim Horner match or the Brad Armstrong match where somebody's working an arm. That's about as slow as this program gets because they go boom 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 they use every second of their television time to tell the stories that they're trying to tell and they don't waste or milk anything number two all of these guys are cutting promos on each other but none of them are cutting them face to face with each other and I think this is important. That's going to cause a fight. Yes, exactly. And this is something that they do in wrestling with WWE has been doing this for years. And I've never liked it. I still don't like it because you don't get, if you're that heated with somebody, you don't just stand in the ring and trade insults with them.
3: <laughs>
0: you know what I mean? You can talk about them backstage in an interview. You can talk about them in a pre-taped interview. But if you get in front of them, especially as a baby face or as a a baby face and they say something, you should be on them. If you're that upset, you should be wanting to kick their ass the moment you see them. You got it. So this, you know, I'm going to come down to the ring and, you know, trade personal jabs with you like we're, you know, Eminem and a fucking rap battle bullshit is exactly that. It's fucking it's it's stupid and I hate it. Anyway,
1: no, no, I, I understand. I understand the psychological part of it and how the the, the way that the Crockett folks are doing it in the show, how that makes more sense than having, because I, I couldn't imagine Dusty and Murdoch having a face to face promo after what happened the week before. Yeah, it would make it would make no sense. Dusty would just want to, you know, would just want to beat up on Murdoch. Or the rock, you know, when the Rock and Roll Express came in and, and got to Manny Fernandez and Rick Rude, you know, they they did their run in, they 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 beat up on the champions, they got they got them out of the ring, and then Ricky Morton cut his fired up promo, and it made sense because he did it after they were in a fight, and it just so happened. If you stick a mic in somebody's face after they got into a fight, it's going to get colorful. Yeah, you know that that type of stuff. So it it makes sense. So I I understand from the psychological standpoint. Uh, you know, why, you know, Crockett's philosophy made more sense.
0: Okay, good. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> yay. Okay, so next we get Denny Brown versus Rocky King for the junior championship. The, what are you shaking your head for?
1: Oh, man, I mean, you know what? With all due respect, I I know of Rocky King, and I think this may have been the first or second time I saw Denny Brown, and I just thought to myself, this match went on way too long and i i honestly didn't enjoy the match i'd figure if you were going to have a match this long on a on a show with you know all these different talents big name talents that were on the show rocky king should have won the title at, I've... Least, at, at at least at least at that point there would have been in my in my estimation there would have been a point to the match instead of having you know denny brown work a 10 minute match 12 minute match which i just thought it was just unfortunately i just thought it was boring i didn't really like it
0: i i mean it wasn't as far as the match goes, it wasn't bad. I'm I really like Rocky King. I've seen him a lot, but, but of course I've watched this a lot. I've been watching for the past uh, a year and a half, I guess. <laughs> worth of for something somewhere around there. So, um, i like Rocky King a lot and he looks like a million bucks. He can wrestle. Yep. Yes, I think he should have won the championship here. I was really pissed that he didn't, <laughs> like pissed to the point that I was just like, what? The, why even have this match, you know?
1: And and, and and the thing is, and I say this with all due respect to Denny Brown, I think that Denny Brown, I, I thought of him and there's, I saw there's so many things I thought to myself. I thought to myself, he looks like Buddy Landell without the bleach blonde hair. Um, he's, he's I thought really- he looked like
0: a chubby Marty Janetti
1: well it it with all due respect i would i never thought of marty janetti only because marty i i was always you know marty was very flashy and i always enjoyed watching his work ah, i just okay. i just saw i just saw with denny brown it, i i don't i don't want to you know denigrate him too much because again i have to understand the the time i was watching and 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 the style and everything i just thought to myself i'm like denny brown comes across as flat When he he didn't really heal, there was Mm -hmm. nothing about him. There was, if if I if I were to watch that match and miss the introduction where they introduced Denny Brown as the junior heavyweight champion, I would have thought that this was going to be a squash match where Rocky King was going to go over, and it was meant to get Rocky King over.
3: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know, Rocky King looked great, and and the audience liked Rocky King.
0: Yeah, they were cheering for him.
1: They were cheering for him, and i have just thought to myself, if you're gonna have this match on on a card with all that talent, like I said, and you're not, it, it's just like it just felt like the match was there. And if Rocky King wasn't gonna win the title, I was like, this match doesn't belong here. You could do without it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, put give, give either give Rocky King a two minute match where he can get himself over, or give Denny Brown, you know, a match where he defends the title against a clearly lesser opponent that he like can a beat Mulkey. him. He could have defended sure. against
0: one of the Malkys. Sure. And beat, just beat the shit out of Bill Malky for, you know, for two and a half, three minutes. And, you know, yeah, then he get, could get gloat you. about being champion and he, you know, he's he, he just beat he just beat the crap off of the Malky and he'll beat the crap off of anybody else. And then, you know, maybe next week Rocky King can be like, well, you're going to beat the crap off of anybody. Let's see if you can beat the crap off of me. And,
1: and then and then and then have Denny Brown run away and you know whatever you said something mm-hmm. up the following week, but
0: or I, yeah, I'll see just, you you know I'll see you in uh, I'll see you in Louisiana I'll see you in you know uh, Shreveport I'll see you in see you know you in Birmingham, all these you know, Birmingham I'll see you in all these different cities that we're gonna go to and we'll just see who beats the boots off of who. You yeah, know. exactly. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see how sell tough some, you are then. Sell some tickets, man. Sell some tickets. Try and talk some yeah. people into the building. But this, yeah this, yeah, this didn't do anything for anybody. No,
1: no. those guys I felt...
0: came out looking worse, and uh, uh, it didn't do anything for the championship itself because it kind of made the championship look like a joke. Which,
1: yeah, I felt, I felt bad. I mean, because again, it's when you have matches like that, you know. And this is a perfect example of looking, you know, looking at and listening to the audience because even the way the match ended. Even though Jenny Brown cheated, it just looked discombobulated. And I'm not talking like discombobulated to the point where you're struggling and it looks like oh it's it's tough, so you had to cheat. It looks like y'all went to the finish and it wasn't it wasn't the sequence that you wanted to do to get there. It just kinda mm-hmm. happened. Yep. And you know, he pulled he pulled the trunks, but it, it's just he did it in such an awkward way. And I didn't even after, see him
0: pull the trunks until the, yeah, the Shivani said he pulled the trunks. So. Yeah,
1: it was it was just it was just <laughs> awkward. And when after the match was over, all I thought to myself was, I was like, man, I'm glad this is over. <laughs> and it, it and I and I felt bad because when I watched the match, I'm like, dude. I was like, Denny Brown. I, I, I again, he might have he might be a big deal in 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 other parts of the country. But when I watched them, I'm just like, no. Rock, Rocky King is clearly—he looks better than you. He's—he's um, he's clearly over with that audience. And if you're going to have a championship match for a title, with all due respect, that probably didn't mean a whole heck of a lot.
2: Mm-hmm. At least,
1: at least put it on on uh, on Rocky King. Let him let him win. And if you're going to have a, a a program on TV over the championship, let the babyface win the first one. You know, in this particular instance, even though usually doesn't work that way but neither one of these guys are main event people get rocky king over hopefully get the championship over and then from there if you want to trade back and forth you can
0: yeah rocky king's been a been been a jobber (laughs) pretty much uh which sucks because he looks like a million bucks and i've been like and he works well so i was like why why is this guy jobbing and yeah i mean all i can think is it's 1987 and it's in the south and he's the wrong color that's really the only reason. Ed,
1: yeah, man. I, I can I, I, I can think. I, I hate I I hate I hate having to to agree on that notion, but you know, you might be right about that.
0: But uh moving on, we get a uh VTR promo from uh Bill Dundee talking about them coming to Memphis, which I love Bill Dundee. He's a hell of a talker and uh, I think Dusty Rhodes versus Bill Dundee. I want to actually want to see that match now, because that would probably be pretty damn good. Uh, the only thing I really took away from this, because I thought it was funny, is Bill Dundee calls himself big and bad, and I was like, "Well, you may be bad, but Bill, you're not big," because <laughs> he's like, he's All like
3: five, five foot six. Foot
0: six. <laughs> yeah. All five foot six of you. I mean,
1: what, what I listen, what I think of Bill Dundee, it's it's so funny because my biggest exposure to Bill Dundee was as Sir William being, you know, uh Steven Regal's manager in mm-hmm. WCW in the early 90s. And I did watch some of his stuff in Memphis with with Lawler and all that but I I didn't have a, as much exposure to him. When I saw this promo, I was like, good-looking guy. He's charismatic. He cut a hell of a promo, and he basically told you every match on that card.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And 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 Bill Dundee was so great because he said, "We're going to have all this talent from all over the country." He gave the entire card, and he said, "But the only match I care about is the one that I'm going to have." <laughs> with,
0: yeah. with I Dusty don't care Rhodes. who wins any of those other matches. I, I just who, care I about care my about... match with Dusty Rhodes. Rhodes,
1: exactly. And I was like, "Perfect." He he basically put every he, he basically put everybody over in in in, in his own way. And then he basically said, Now I'm gonna be a heel. I don't care who wins those matches. I'm only concerned about my match with Dusty Rhodes. And I was like, damn, that's just that's just freaking perfect. Like mm-hmm. you see that that that's how you gotta do it. You know, and and again, Bill Dundee talked for probably about two minutes or so, but even then he basically every bullet point he needed to hit, he got, and that was just that was just brilliantly done.
0: Everything that came out of his mouth meant something. You got it. There were no even, superfluous uh, soliloquies nope, added nope. in for... for uh, uh...
1: Even even his greeting meant something. hmm <laughs> Even
0: his greeting. So, uh, let's see. Next we get uh, Baron Corbin. I mean, Baron Von Raschke <laughs> versus Brody Chase.
1: Oh, my gosh. That's that's another match you could have done without. I love the Baron, but, I mean, uh, that was...
0: You know, I do. That was...
1: I, I I love the Baron, but that but that match is just there for him to be the, on TV. The thumb
0: the thumb to the I did like that he got the thumb to the eye. The people cheered it cuz he's a baby mm-hmm. face now. And they he did the 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 Frankenstein stiff leg the goose walk into the claw. Like, yep. I love Baron Von Raschke, but I love Baron and I love Baron Corbin. And I honestly I would love to see Baron Corbin use the claw. I think that would be a great way for him to <laughs> To pay to pay homage to his father. No, I'm I'm kidding. But they do look they do look so much alike. Like every time I see Barry von Raschke or Baron Corbin, I just see the two. Like I'm like they're they're built exactly the same, and they're both bald, and they have similar facial features, similar height, similar
1: yep. yeah. Yeah, I mean I, it's weird because when I look at von Raschke, I know that in in younger years you know Von Raschke, this probably may have been like towards the end because I remember shortly after this he he went to the WWF for a, a, a cup of coffee to manage the powers of pain and um but re- realistically when I when I saw this match I was like it's just a feature of the baron you know yeah. I, I don't It's I it's because
0: word. it's because he's still getting paid because he came in he was part of Paul Jones army and then he turned babyface and in... It's just just to get him on the card, probably get him an, a a payday for being on TV or whatever. You know, I'm sure he'll be at uh, at the house shows. He'll probably win a one of the opening two matches. But I mean, he's in the twilight. He's obviously in the twilight of his career. I don't think anybody's doubting that, including you know the Baron. I think he was just, you know, he was there. Hey, so
1: if, if, if they're willing, if they're willing to pay you, you'd be crazy not to take it. Um,
0: let's see. We, then we get a, uh, JJ, JJ J. Dillon again, this time with Tully Blanchard, who I think of all the people that delivered a promo from the horsemen Tully's was by far the best. Uh, he puts over Lex, like a million dollars, talks about how much more he can bench than the road warriors, uh, yeah,
1: he was doing 650, but now he's doing 660. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, He talks about poor Ronnie Garvin. Like, I love – I was just, you know, makes fun of him putting a hand over – I mean, he's just such an ass, just such a jerk, and it's so he? good at it.
1: But but, think, but look at the reasoning. He says, hey, wrestling is tough. Things happen. If you can't take it, get out. And, and, and of course – the cosmic fireball is really not something that, you know. It
0: happens in wrestling.
1: happens in wrestling. But the thing is that Tully Blanchett is the heel.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And and, we, and whether people don't realize this or not, what he's essentially doing is a setting up a future bout with the Horseman versus Barry Windham and Ronnie Garvin.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's a, that's, that's just a, a great way to tease that. And, you know, whenever the NWA, Jim Crockett, wants to, you know, wants to pull that card out, you already kind of have a pseudo story already built around it.
0: Oh yeah, that's why when uh, when guys come into the promotion, they call out pretty much if they're a heel, they call out all the baby faces. If they're a baby face, they call out all the heels because then they can say down the road when I got here, I called you out and you weren't there, or you know what I mean, whatever they need to do. But they can, you know, because you're you want to set up a feud with the top guy on the card. Everybody wants to feud with Brick Flair, you know. If you're not going to feud with Ric Flair, Tully, Arn, Dusty, you know, uh, Nikita, you know, Barry Windham, you know, you want to feud with one of the top guys because that's where you're going to make the most money. You got it. And at the end of the day, the business is about making money.
1: Yeah. And if you're not, and if you're not trying to work your way to the main event spot and you're just happy being in the undercard, I mean, listen, not everybody's going to get to the main event, but if you got... If you got the ability and the talent to do it and opportunities arise, man, you got to jump at it.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, like, you know, uh, unlike everybody at NXT, I'm not just happy to be here. I want to win championships and work with the top people in this company because I want to make a lot of money. <laughs> Sorry, right. I'm waiting for people to start saying that because that's what needs to be said. I'm tired of, well, oh, this is my dream. I'm just so happy to be in NXT. This is so great. like. Nope. No, fuck that. I want I, I want money, and I want women, and I want cars, and I want championships, and that's why I'm here. As, I want to but, be the Book- biggest star in this industry. You know, if you never make it there, you never make it there, but.
1: Yeah, I mean, as, as Booker T would say, it's about checks and championships. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and as, long, as long as you're getting those two, then you're looking good. Every everything else, Everything else is garnish.
0: So here we go. Last one go to break, come back. Uh, the four horsemen versus Bob Armstrong and company. I'm not going to, it was, what was, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember. It was Bob Armstrong and uh Dutch Mantel.
1: Yep, a, a young Dutch Mantel. Yes.
0: Yes. Young, hairy Dutch Mantel. Um, and, uh, I don't remember who the other two guys yeah, there, were.
1: There were two, there were two other guys. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Eddie, somebody and somebody else. Um, I couldn't really keep track to write anything down because everything happened so fast. Um, Oli and Bob got in there, and as soon as I wrote that down, somebody else was in the match. Uh, They cycled in and out a lot. Um, There was some good healing in the match. Uh, uh, Oli in there working over the arm, typical Anderson thing, working the arm, ends up getting the submission from the arm. So, um which is nice. If you you never see an arm submission anymore. Uh yeah. unless it's like unless it's Becky Lynch. That's pretty much the only person who does an arm bar that people actually submit for.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously now Ronda Rousey's not in WWE no more, but no, you know, no. when she was doing it. I yeah, fuck
0: Ronda Rousey. Uh yeah. we get a big That's spine certain. buster from Arn Anderson too, which is I mean, I'm I love seeing that move. <laughs> You know what I mean? One.
1: It's still the best one in the business. I haven't seen anybody do it as good as Double A, man.
0: No. No. It's, not that not... style of Spinebuster, anyway. No. Uh, no. No. I do like the uh, uh, the, the Ron Simmons, I'm going to lift you up and then just throw you down, Spinebuster.
1: I, I got a feeling that the Ron
0: Simmons one might hurt a little bit Oh, I'm sure than... it does. I'm sure the Ron Simmons one is stiff as shit. But... That's all right. I That's certainly right.
1: wouldn't want to if I had my if I had to pick, I'd be like, I'll take double A's. Yeah. I'll I'll, yeah. I'll take double A's before before yours.
0: Oh yeah. Well I mean the the, the the APA were like the Road Warriors. They were the guys that you like get to the get to TV that day and you look at the car and you're like, Oh shit.
1: Oh
3: the Road boy.
0: The Road Warriors just legitimately beat the shit out of people. They did not work at all in those fucking squash matches. I'm like, I see guys in there with them. I'm like, those, those poor guys, like they, they have no clue. They're just going to get the crap beat out of them for 30 seconds. At least the road warrior matches were fast. (laughs) You know, the, the one thing I will say is that I,
1: is I love the road warriors in Jim Crockett promotions. I remember when they worked in the AWA i enjoyed their work in the awa but i love their run in the nwa more by the time they got to the wwf in 1990 it seemed like some of the steam was off of them already they you know they were they were kind of like in the beginning of their you know of the
3: downward turn mm-hmm.
1: and um the the one thing is when i saw Royal Warrior squash matches yes i felt bad for the guys they were working with because yes hawk and animal were not selling they weren't working with you um, with Farouk and Bradshaw, although they didn't really do squash matches when they were the APA, because that's just not the way that television was presented at mm. the time. But, you know, if they got in, there with like a cayenne tie or somebody like that, that would probably be the closest equivalent. It, it, it would get ugly, you know, but the thing is that Farouk and Bradshaw is they would work with you. Yeah, because they, you know, they would make, you know, they would like make a mistake. The other team is a little faster. They're shrewder. They'd work with you some. Uh, but the Road Warriors, whoo, that 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 was that was a different a different animal altogether.
0: I think, um, well, yeah, and and the, the the APA, they liked people who worked stiff with them, too. I think that's the reason why they love the Dudley Boys so much is because the you know Bubba Ray would give it as good as he could get it, if they were working stiff. Bubba and Devon would work stiff with you, you know. Oh
3: yeah!
1: Oh yeah! I be- so. I believe it too, I, and I and I'm sure that uh, some somewhere along the way there's there's like s- something sick in their mind that they would just you know it would they would be happy doing it. Um, I you know if I if I were a wrestler, I'd probably be okay with it in certain occasions, but I'm like, man, I can't do this every night, man. Oh yeah. But you know well, if I if I got if I got to get my ass kicked by Simmons and Bradshaw every night, I'd be like, yo. Oh, we better figure something else
0: out the uh i was watching i got a john cena dvd collection like john cena's greatest rivalries and one of them one of the matches is uh is it mania i forget where it was it's it's uh uh cena and bradshaw jbl and john cena i think it's for the title
1: wrestlemania 21 2005
0: And uh, Cena's talking about it and he's talking about JBL and he's like, when we were talking about the match, JBL was just like, look, we need to make this stiff. I'm sorry. I hate to say this, but we need to go out there and actually beat up on each other. It's the only way this match is going to really work and for us to get it over. And they did like, if you go watch that match, they were stiff as shit. They were fucking punching each other and it, it made the match work. It made it so fucking like believable with the rest of the stuff that they were doing. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. And, and I think that there was, there's a couple of reasons why I think Bradshaw and, and I, and I can, I can agree with Bradshaw as to why this made sense because JB JBL, you know, you know, for the fan, long fans of the WWF, they know him as Justin Hawk Bradshaw. Then they know him as, the Blackjack Bradshaw, they know him as APA Bradshaw, and then it's JBL. But throughout all of those, you know, iterations of, you know, John Layfield in in the ring, the one thing that never really changed was his in-ring style. Yeah. You know, and he always – it's just – it's a brawl. It's basically, you know, a modern-day, you know, concoction of Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody. Mm-hmm. And that's who JBL was as an in-ring guy. And the thing is with Cena is that although Cena was, was – over with the audience but he wasn't over over at that yeah and i think that if he was in and that was uh john cena's first match like for you know first uh match for the heavyweight title so if he was gonna win he needed to go over strong and it's for two reasons one is because if bradshaw is gonna lose the title to cena he can't do it in a way that feels flat because one JBL needs a place to go after he loses to Cena, and Cena needs to go over strong so that the audience believes in him when he goes and gets paired off with whoever his next opponent is going to be. So I can understand why JBL would look around and say, hey, the audience loves you and the audience hates me, but yet they're not, for some reason, they're not believing that this pairing is a main event pairing, so we're going to have to make them believe it. And if on that particular night they they had to be a little more snug to get there, you know, I'm I'm sure that I'm sure that both guys gave their apologies after the match. and shook hands afterwards, but
2: oh yeah, um, um
1: but it but it made sense. I can understand Bradshaw's psychology.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, I can see that. If if Cena's going to beat Bradshaw, Cena needs to beat Bradshaw in Bradshaw's style of match. Correct. Yeah, because that way he because if. If they wrestle Cena's match, then it's not like he's he's not really beating Bradshaw. You know what I mean? He's got to beat Bradshaw at his toughest, meanest, nastiest to really get that hero's. Yep, and um... that, and that, and
1: that yeah. the fans, and that the fans. Even though we we believed even in two thousand five that Cena was tough, we needed. If you're gonna put the belt on him,
3: you
0: need to see it.
1: You got it. You got
0: it. Yep. Kind of like Randy Orton going up against, uh, mankind in that, uh, hardcore match.
1: Yep. And
0: the, which and thing is about it... probably my favorite hardcore match of all time. And I don't even like hardcore matches, but Randy Orton and man, Randy Orton and Mick Foley, they pulled that one together.
1: Yeah. And that, and the, and the thing is with a guy like Mick Foley, I mean, even though sometimes, uh, you know, as much as I love Mick Foley, he has to kind of, uh, he has to kind of fall on the sword for, for all the hardcore stuff but the thing that people don't understand necessarily is that although he did all the wild stuff and all the crazy bumps people want to remember him for that and not understand all the psychology and all the all the brain power that goes into that stuff that makes you as, an, as a fan care and have sympathy for him whereas some other guys god bless them they do it and we just think we just shake our heads and be like oh my god why like you're you're dumb for doing no. this
0: and, and Foley was it to his credit Foley was a good in-ring wrestler like he was a good worker it's not like yeah, he, he was did. just some he... shitty worker who only did this because that's all he knew that's all he could do was torture himself he you know he, he he did this because it 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 got him seen you know it got him noticed but uh he was he could still work so yeah,
1: yeah. and the fact and the fact that he can talk and once people allowed him mm-hmm. to speak. And you know, allow allow the intelligence of Mick Foley to then permeate through Cactus Jack and mankind and Dude Love. They were that's that's when all of that all of that uh, rich work was able to come in as soon as he got the opportunity to speak.
0: Nope. all right, folks. We are. Uh, I hate to hate to rub this short <laughs> or to run this short. Yeah, we're uh very short abrupt here uh if we keep talking we're just going to talk all night and then we're headed on the <laughs> we're headed to the three hour mark on this podcast so this will be this will be an epic one that three people will listen to all the way through i'm sure uh <laughs> no uh it, i'm kidding we might get double digits who knows uh who oh wait hold on there we go <laughs> Do the, do, do the the uh, the the Shana Baszler, the Queen of Spades. Yep, I love me I love me some Shayna Baszler, man. I'm so excited for Zoe though. Zoe versus Rhea is going to be a great match. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, it will be. I mean, my you know, I I always say right now my concern is for any any woman in the WWE challenging Rhea Ripley. It's just Rhea Ripley is just operating on a completely different level, and although Zoe Stark did very well in that, you know, in in the women's match over in Saudi Arabia, she did a great job and. She, you know she won the battle Royal, so she gets this opportunity at the survivor series but i just think that right now there's absolutely no woman in wwe that's going to be able to beat Rhea Ripley, or at least they
0: shouldn't yeah not not till becky lynch takes her on to mania
1: yeah and i mean and, 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 and becky thing. might do the
0: job too you never know becky's more and, than willing to put people over
1: and in all and in all honesty it's it's so weird because i hate saying this i, I don't want i don't want to put Jade Cargill in a situation where Jade should be the one to beat Rhea Ripley because I don't know necessarily if Jade will be ready for that spot. But it just kind of seems like if somebody's going to beat Rhea Ripley, it shouldn't be somebody who that's actively in the mix. It probably needs to be somebody. I,
0: I think it should be Bianca or Asuka, honestly. I think those would be the two options that would work best. Bianca could outpower her she already wrestles like the ultimate warrior and that she doesn't sell a whole lot. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, she could, she could overcome Rhea Ripley. I think Oscar could, you know, she's already beaten Bianca with the mist. I think she could do that or pull something else out that would, uh, you know, put her over Rhea. Cause you know, I mean, we'll, we'll, but we'll see. You, you never know. It could be fucking, I don't know. Tiffany Stratton could end up beating her.
1: Yeah, yeah <laughs> you know, I mean,
0: somebody could I, get called up. You know, after Mania, and just go on a fucking whirlwind.
1: Yeah, you never know. I mean, I, I i would I would love to see it. You know, the the ladies who are on NXT right now actually stay there, and, oh, yeah. and only only because I think that with the transition over, and, and and we still got a year before this happens. But I think that realistically. It, it would be nice to see the NXT women's division stay, stay pat until they make the move to CW. Yeah. Cause I, I, cause I think that all of those women are actually going to benefit quite a bit from getting that, you know, network network TV exposure.
0: Well, on that note, folks, again, we are, uh, this has been back to the ring. You can find me, uh, on Twitter at back to the ring. Lou does not have a Twitter, so you can't find him on Twitter anywhere. Nope, no, I don't.
1: No, I don't. He is
0: he is a he is a man without a country. No, I'm kidding. That's... He's a man without a social media country. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there no, that's go. that's true. That's true. All righty. Well, for both of us, this is uh, this is Doctor Bob signing off. And as our good friend Arn Anderson says, it's been your pleasure.
3: So long. Hold on. Hold on.